I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch Midsomar, more like Big Bomar. Sweet summer night and I'm stripped to my sheets. Four minutes leak and my AC squeaks. And a voice from the clock says you're not gonna get tired. My bed is a pool and the wall's on fire. It's like a, it's like a bummer. It's sad. It's, it's I feel like you could hit bummer a little, like midsummer, more like big bummer. Yeah, but then I'm saying the title in like a little more of like a Anglo way. It's funny. Mm. I think if I do, if I really lean into the pronunciation, I was thinking the other day about when you're watching. I was watching TikTok and I was thinking about those. Uh, you see a white guy and he's talking about Japanese culture. I see them and all he's the just time. Talking. White guy. He's just like he's like. White guy voice, white guy voice, white guy voice, and then very authentic Japanese pronunciation, and then white guy voice, white guy voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm hoping to be with that, but just so. How do you? Uh, how would you like midsummer? <laughs> midsummer. <laughs> Did I get saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are a hundred percent from uh, Scandinavian descent, right, Peter? I'm I'm German Irish, but if you took a look at me, you'd be like. I mean, if you took a look at my nieces, that my nieces and nephews that uh, walked down the aisle at my wedding, you yeah. I mean, I, I people, did. I was there. <laughs> multiple people said those look like kids from Midsummer. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. You got a whole Midsummer vibe now that I think about it. It's, is it bad that like the two movies that we've watched that like I'm like, oh, that reminds me of Peter is Midsummer and Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> We, I love, I love that we have not introduced Carrie, and we don't really need to. I think we, I think we just got the best laugh we ever heard from. Yeah, I'm Carrie glad it went that way. It could have gone a lot of ways, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we have uh, Carrie. Hey guys, thank you for coming the back producer. on the show. I love Nazi jokes. This is great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what if, what if I meant someone else? What if he's got a Peter's got a little bit of Eliza vibe. That's true. That's yeah. true. Uh, in that, it. in that, I'm a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever it helps to get to to pretend I meant something else. Um, Got it. Yeah. No, Carrie. It's been uh, last time you were on show uh, was for Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, yeah. And now you're on for Hagen Das Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm psyched for this. We've yeah, we been only... talking about this movie for a long time. Yeah, this is true. Like movies. we we've been trying to do cult movies for a long time. Uh, it's, it is our it, where we love to watch our movie podcasts. Pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. This is our fourth month of cults, potentially featuring the music of cults. I don't know. They got some good songs. We could throw some tracks on by them. But uh, we built this around the idea of this episode, which was Carrie. We had, you, I think you had seen Midsummer, 
to catch up for the best of 2019 last yeah, year? Yeah, it was like roughly a year ago I watched it for the first time for catch up. And I told you guys that I watched it and we started just chatting about it and realized that like we had seen such different movies. Yeah. <laughs> and need and and there was no way we were gonna be able to have that conversation it fit fit that into that major episode. So yeah. it needed its own space. Yeah, and then I like we we had a few exchanges over like uh text and stuff like that, and then yeah, it was like we need to do this on the ep- on the on the podcast, and so like I, this is probably like we were like next October we're doing, like this is like thirteen months ago, <laughs> like next October we're doing we're doing cults and we're doing Midsummer and Carrie, you're the guest for that episode. So, uh, yeah, we we called our shot. We're like Babe Ruth, or we just are very anal about planning in general, and yeah, so this this really is like. All the other movies we did this month were a lot of fun, but I think we were like most excited to talk about this, and and we almost did. We you know there's another movie by uh, by the by the director of Midsummer, uh, Ari Aster, who we almost did his other movie in this month too. But we're like, can we really like we're finally cults is such a broad horror topic. It's our Spooktober month. Can we really get away? with doing two, like, his only two feature-length movies, and so we were like, no, we can't do yeah. that. And also, um, the the big deciding point was, the theme for this month is we wanted to have a month of movies where they are actually delving into some of the mechanics of the cult. And in uh, Hereditary, we know the point of the cult, but it's not much different than the point of a any satanic... Like, we could have easily done Blood on Satan's Claw instead. We could have done it, like, actually, Blood on Satan's Claw figures more of the more of the cult into the into the works. But um, we want to know the mechanics, the inner hierarchy, something that, like, gives us something to chew on as a new religious movement, as a cult. Um, in Hereditary, it's mostly just, like, a bunch of witches want to do some spooky stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know you saying we want to delve into what the cult is, like, I know we're technically the month is over. But I do think our name for the month that we could retroactively add to all the notes is I want to know what cult is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. Well, I want you to show me. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's the fourth week of the, the month you've been hearing all month. I want to know what cult is. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, this, it's funny because like, I, I think both Midsummer and Hereditary were like near the top or at the top of our list in in 2019 and 2018. Um, I like I I think like I like Hereditary slightly more just in terms of like it's a better movie to show to people. It has more like truly scary moments. I I definitely think in like the com- you know the the comparison that strikes me the most is like Jordan Peele's Get Out to Us. Like I I do think that. Get Out is still the slightly better movie. I think Us and Midsummer have way more ideas going for it, and have a, there's a lot more to talk about. I, I also think that it's important to, to a lot of people think about this as like, oh man, he had so many scripts. Like, oh man, he he's he's such a hard worker. He he's ready to go. Like the yes, obviously, in order to get movies done, you need to be very ambitious and a hard worker. But the way that Hollywood works is you try and get some work out there. You try and get your name out there. You write a zillion scripts and then finally one bites 
And then, oh, while people are nibbling on that script, other people are saying, well, what else do you have in the pipe while you're in meetings? And what happened with these movies is that, like, kind of they got bites at similar times, but yeah. you can only do one mm. at a time. And so they ended up being stacked in a weird way where Hereditary was near the top of our list for best of um, 2018. And then Midsommar ended up being right at the top of our list for 2020. 2019. 2019. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, one of those things where, like, you know, you basically a year later, you're excited to see the next movie. Um, and this this one definitely wowed me. I did get to see this one in theaters. Um I'm glad it was a box office success. It, I feel like it got less like notices and wasn't as big of a hit, but it actually, I mean, it made 45 million on a budget of nine. So um, yeah, and they I, both got. I mean, they both got the important vote, which is um, did a bunch of uh, Gen Z kids make a bunch of memes about different frames from the movie? And yeah, I mean, both of them nailed that. That's how you can tell a movie is going to have. That's my new way to tell if a movie is going to be popular in 10 years is um, did I see memes about it on TikTok more than once in a day? Yeah, I mean, this this said and plus also, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely on the poo poo train. Pew pew train. Pew pew train. That means I like Florence Pugh, and I think she's oh, <laughs> oh, she's amazing. I had no idea what you're saying, but yeah, she's I, I thought it was pretty clear, but you know, yeah, I think she would be. I think for a, a lot of people, this would be her, uh, their introduction to her. It was my my introduction to her because I saw Lady Macbeth after. This. Oh, I I saw Lady Macbeth when it came out, and I was like, oh, this is fucking good. Who is this person? And then obviously in 2019, she has this and Little Women, which she's great in. She is she is fantastic in Little Women. Also saw that after this. Oh. <laughs> So this so was your this first, okay? Yeah. So I saw this in theaters, and I was like, "Who the hell? Who the hell is this? She can do everything." And then two years later, it's like, "Well, yeah, duh, she can." Duh. Which I mean, outside of those movies that we just said, the other, the everything else that she can do is Black Widow and uh, and uh, I guess fighting with my family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also she got more stuff yes. coming out. But <laughs> if she wanted to play, if they made a, like a grumpy cat live action movie with a lot of mocap uh-huh. um she could play a really great gumpy grumpy cat because she somehow has that is spot on she does have like i'm like How? the best like i don't know like uh, like whatever that thing that kids do when they lift up their lip and then it, like they're both angry and just look at hateful shit at you but also like they're about to break down crying she has the best adult version of that i've ever seen in my life oh yeah a hundred percent it's like a full letter c like it's crazy. <laughs> she could frown so hard. She oh, she frowns so fucking hard in this movie, bro. <laughs> but then at the end, she gets she so smiles. sad. Yeah, she frowns. She smiles. You know, <laughs> that's um, me hyping up someone to see Midsummer. Oh man, you're gonna see like this. She's like the saddest woman. <laughs> she's so she's so sad. But then at the end, <laughs> she smiles. <laughs> yeah, she for a little smile. Dan, you're but, like, but spoiler, creepy, thanks, creepy for, smile for frowny reasons. <laughs> We think they're frowny reasons. We're thinking so, cultural relativism. You can't judge them. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I let's let's you know let's stop beating around the bush. Who cares? This movie was made. A twenty four. Ari Aster. Big hit. Blah blah blah. Uh, I want to talk about two things to frame us up, and then we're just we got to just get into it because we have so much to, stuff to talk about, and then like maybe we'll leave thirty minutes to talk about scenes and things that actually happen in the movie. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, so the first thing is that we are really going to get into the end of this movie. We're going to talk about like what we think the themes are, 
there's a lot here that like part of the reason that we really sometimes we want to talk about a movie because we want to hype something up. We, we're interested in it. We want to talk about some some moments or some things or some themes that are important to us. Like I think one of the reasons that we are really excited to talk about this is like Peter, Carrie, and myself are all very interested in, into what the movie potentially means what it how it comes across what what are some of the things it's trying to get at is it supposed to be an allegory is it supposed to be uh you know a pointed criticism of something more real and like we really want to talk about that i think that's what we're excited about so as such the ending and where this story goes is pivotal pivotal to that conversation so if you sometimes like listen to these podcasts because we talk about the ending for five minutes and then also talk about how much we like Bruce Willis or something like that, um, which we have never covered a Bruce Willis movie, but spoiler, uh, we just recorded a few. Uh, so uh, that's not going to be this type of episode. If, you, if you're interested in seeing Midsummer, highly would recommend uh, watching it. The other thing is yeah, all like, of can I Yeah. Can I also throw in on top of that, we don't often do trigger warnings for our episodes, um, but very often, you know, we're talking about a blood and guts kind of horror movie, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I assume there's going to be, like, blah, blah, blah in it. Um, This is, like, one of the most triggering movies we've ever done on the show, and I think a lot of people that watched it and hated it didn't know that the, like, viciousness that they were stepping into because all of the art is like of these beautiful rolling hills and you know um pretty people in pretty dresses standing out in fields and 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 you know obviously you knew it was gonna be a horror movie but like you might not have known the the extent um that that you're gonna get thrown into similar to hereditary and that turned a lot of people against this movie this is one of those movies where it's like there's a lot of tens. There's a lot of like uh, five stars, and there's a lot of one stars, like the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. So if you have trigger warnings for suicide, incest, um, suicide kind of everything, again. smashing yeah. the head of someone who commits suicide, yeah, uh, skit, like taking out people's insides, people's lungs being held over their taking body. out bears' insides and putting people inside the bear, yeah, put people that were outside in the bears' inside. That was honestly inside. That was honestly the reason I didn't watch it for such a long time. Because everything I I do read spoilers as trigger warnings for myself before I watch a lot of stuff like this. And everything I was reading about this, I was like, this just sounds like the most unpleasant experience. Why would I ever like force myself to go through it? And I'm glad I did, because there's a lot I ended up liking about it. But like it's there's so much that's so off-putting that I don't blame anyone for hearing about it and just being like, yeah, I'll pass. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And one of like Ari Aster's gifts, I, I think, is that it's he's not he doesn't make a movie that's like fucking Mandy or some shit where there's just constant grotesque scenes and bathed in blood and all the other things that kind of come with horror movies. It's just the the the, the parts of the violence or the or the aftermath of violence is so harsh and severe and visceral that yeah, like it's immediate trauma. It's, like yeah. the people who see it are immediately haunted by it. And you're going to see those images again and again, because that's very often how trauma resonates. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a part, there's a part where I watched this with, uh, with my wife, Shauna, where, uh, she, she turned to me and was like, air bear. It's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> There are moments that are, there are, like, brief, brief moments that are, like, 
you know, extreme torture porn level. Yeah. But they're kind of cushioned yeah. by like the gen the overall gentility of it. The like softness I, and the and the I don't flowing, think they're cushioned the I, camera of it. I actually don't think they're cushioned. I think that the weird like uh whiteness both like in like like for example the suicide scene where they're dressed in white they're white people it's white rocks whatever i meant more just like the the air of like angelic heavenly like beauty the way that everyone's kind of like almost like in a pageant uh i think that the contrast of that and the extreme uh violence and gruesomeness i think actually makes it hit a little little harder but of course yeah i agree yeah um, but so so that's the first thing I would mention. And then the other thing is that even though all of us saw the theatrical cut originally, we decided to uh, – and I just want to underline how easy it is to do this if you're interested. We decided to all watch the director's cut uh, because, yeah, we – you know, it is – it really is uh, a – Director's cut in that, hey, my movie was already too long. They asked me to cut a half hour, but like my – if I like when I think of Midsummer, I think of the director's cut version. Now, why we're laughing about it is that in order to watch this, there's only two ways to watch it. One, you can spend $200 on a limited edition 4K Blu ray uh, that is now out of print. So, my guess is it's just going to keep going up as you hear people talk about it. Uh, not the most convenient. Or two, it was weirdly only released as a special feature. For the Apple iTunes release of Midsummer, and uh, as P- Peter, who has an Apple TV, learned, it's extraordinarily easy and intuitive to figure out if you just buy the movie and then I'm watching it, and then I select this one. Carrie and I, who don't, found out that it's a fucking nightmare to try to figure out how to watch. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I hit the button, and I was just expecting the movie to start, and I would have to like fuck around inside menus or something. And I hit the button, and immediately opened it up like it was in a Blu-ray menu. It started playing yeah. music. There's this beautiful drawn image of a bear roaring. I can yeah. easily navigate to the features. Like it's it's this gorgeous little like Blu-ray installed onto my my Apple TV or streaming to my Apple TV, and then for you guys, it was like I had to go, I had to go through two tutorials, and because the first one I I couldn't quite figure it out with it, and then I found another tutorial to to find out how to watch the Apple movie, Plus and also in between I had to wait because I Apple updated is, my Apple Plus is such a bad app, terrible. It's, app. It's, it's such a terrible app. It hides all the content that's exclusive to Apple Plus. Um, if you want to mess with subtitles or anything like that, it's like pulling teeth. And then it's like such a weird thing because like my Apple TV is like one of the smoothest, by far the smoothest. I have a Roku. I have a PS5. I have a bunch of them. By far the smoothest OS I've ever had for like navigating media. And for some reason, you guys were like, all right. So, you need to put in up, down, left, right, Alex Blythe. <laughs> you got your game A, B, team, start, right? A, B, start. Yeah. You... You, have to, you have to put in the code for unlimited versions of the movie. There's, two. Uh, There's yeah, got to so be what... somebody that bought this movie because they thought they were getting the director's cut, and then they went over to their TV to watch it, and then watched the two-hour and 20-minute version, and they're like, and assumed it was a long the movie, I'm sure cut. I watched the director's cut. I mean, yeah. considering that... I found, again, multiple tutorials online for how to watch this. I feel pretty confident that Carrie and I weren't the only people that were confused. Yeah, so the only other thing I would say is that, and part of this is like, you can go you can, you can go through those steps and watch it. I would say two things about the director's cut. We'll, we'll pro- there's a couple scenes in it we'll talk about. There's essentially like, it's a lot of stretching out some of the um, 
the ceremony related stuff, like more people chanting, longer of this, which I think gives you a little more like in some in some ways, Ariaster is kind of like the the occult Wes Anderson, where he wants to show all the little meticulous parts of of things, and and so there's more of that. There's like two new scenes that were directly new to me, anyways. That like I really was like, oh, this is this. I definitely haven't seen this before. We'll we'll talk about those scenes. I think those scenes are effective. I would say though, like showing it to my wife for the first time. Um, I don't think that the movie is better or worse for the extra half hour. And I think it's just as effective without. So my recommendation would be if it's your first time seeing it, you might want to stick with the theatrical. Cause I do feel like three hours is a little long in the tooth, especially when it doesn't like, I think add enough to make it a completely new experience. But that was my take. I think Carrie, you might have a different take. Cause you're like, Oh, I liked it even better with the, director's cut. I think I I think I liked the pacing better in the director's cut, which is confusing because usually usually something where it's that much longer, I wouldn't feel that way, but th- I, there was something about giving everything a little bit more space to breathe and like get more ominous made the made it all land a little bit better for me. And also one of the one of the new scenes um hit me uh strongly in a way that was like fill it filled out the world for me in a way that I found to be helpful. And that's I, I, I would have a hard time watching the movie again without that scene being there. Uh, we'll talk we'll okay, get to that well, later. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I mean I, I kinda I I liked that scene. Um I I wonder I felt like it came too close after the other trauma and and made me stretch credulity a little bit. Oh, about okay. like okay, well, come on, they have to leave the next morning. Like, uh, you know, like they have that traumatic incident uh, of the people killing themselves, and then that like a few hours later, they you know, it felt too similar and too big. Um, Again, I don't think it took away anything, and I actually really liked the scene. I just felt like the placement was a little off. Uh, it almost felt like that should have come first, and then the, the actual. Oh but, yeah. But anyways, we we can get into that. Um, so here's what I'd propose then. Um, it's certainly an interesting director's cut in that it's not just adding like a few extra minutes of characterization. Like, no, there were whole sequences where I was like, I don't remember that. Oh, <laughs> what's yeah. gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Because I, I I saw it in theaters, like I. I remember the movie pretty well. So I'm going to propose that we we structure this a little differently. One, I'm going to go through and just do a quick two-minute plot recap. Then we spend an hour, whatever we need to, on what we think the movie means or what it's trying to get at or how it works or doesn't work. Then we do our break. We come back and we talk about like plot, scenes, characters, acting, all the other stuff that we would normally talk about. I think that'll Let's work because it. it'll also force us to talk about scenes because I'm, if somebody's making a point, they're going to back it up by talking about the scene they're talking about, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, here, what happens in Midsummer? Midsummer is about Danny, who's in a relationship with Christian. Uh, they've been together about three and a half years. The relationship has, uh, has at the very least, not gone gotten to a very emotionally fulfilling standpoint where they're supportive of each other. It, it, it definitely feels like at the broadest strokes that they're in a relationship that um, probably should have been maybe a six-month thing and ran its course in, like, a lot of relationships. 
you know, end up just kind of staying together due to convenience or comfort. But like ultimately, um, they're they're there's a lack of fulfillment from either of them. Uh, Danny, because she's looking for a more emotionally fulfilling relationship. And Christian, because she, he, um, he sees uh, Danny's attempt to like grow into and mature the relationship as, uh, as neediness and one-sided because he is not uh, participating in the same way that, that she is. Uh, so that's – you. That's kind of the way their relationship is structured. He's also hanging out with all of his friends who are, you know, shitty movie bro friends, uh, Mark, uh, Josh, and uh, Pele, who uh, are all um, – oh, sorry, and Connie, right? Connie's the, the – She they she comes later. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, it, it, Pele is the is the Swedish person who's in their friend group with yeah, Josh it's like, and Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it Pele? Uh, yeah, Pel- I think it's like Pele, Pele, I think. Pele, yeah. okay. Um, so there, you know, especially, especially Mark, played by Will Poulter. <laughs> now, I, hold on to your hats. Will Pol- Poulter kind of plays an annoying asshole in this movie. What? <laughs> I just, I know. I said hold on to your hat, Peter. Well, now if I'm going to go chase my damn hat. Yeah, I didn't I, hold on to it. Based on that reaction, I just had a hard feeling that your hat was across the room. Because... <laughs> If you had held on to it, I think you would have been fine. Um, William Jackson Harper plays Josh, better known as Cheedy from The Good Place, playing a very Cheedy-like character. Uh, but anyways, they uh, especially Mark is like, why don't you break up with her? I can't believe she's calling you again. And she's calling because her sister's been leaving these cryptic messages about uh, implying that she's suicidal. Um, and and Danny has not been able to get a hold of her. And so she's calling her boyfriend of three and a half years to express her fears and concerns and get some level of emotional support. And he's being a shithead. Um, it turns out that he, uh, she was right to be concerned. Her sister did kill herself and uh with uh and tragically uh killed her uh their parents in the process as well uh took took car exhaust uh, flooded into their room and then put put a car exhaust pipe over her mouth and died gruesome gruesome scene i'm sure we'll talk about it more they are all going uh, uh pele is going back to sweden and bringing uh josh christian and mark to a midsummer festival, Christian has not really shared this with Danny. Just that, uh, even though Danny knows that the rest of them are going, um, but after you know trying to support, you know, she he was about to break up with her. Now they're t- he he feels like he can't break up with her because of the tragedy that she suffers, and uh, invites her, even though she doesn't want her to go, to try to be nice. She takes them up on it. So they're going to this uh, uh, once every 90 year midsummer festival in Sweden in this small village that uh, Pele is from. He says he never takes people there. So if they kind of they go to the festival. They um, as they walk up, there's a bunch of other people. There's other people from the village that are, you know, they're almost going on pilgrimages where they bring people back to celebrate uh, to celebrate with them. Um and uh, and at first, you know, they're taking mushrooms and experiencing uh, the the love of nature. Uh, the 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 area that they're in in Sweden stays. It's like uh, Alaska in the summer. It stays bright um, uh, most of the day. There's like an hour or two hours of darkness, so it's just you know, it's it's always very bright, and it, it kind of is one of the few horror movies that is besides like the only one the other one I can think of is Who Can Kill a Child. Which is basically takes place in like the bright hot sun as a sun as opposed to hiding in darkness. So at first, you know, they're they're you know they're just kind of experiencing this culture. 
uh, Josh is planning to write his uh, his uh, dissertation on uh, the 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 festivals of here and some other places of kind of occultic or uh, uh, ancient. Uh, there's a, a folklore and the way that they summer uh, celebrated Midsummer. Um, so he's asking a lot about the village, which uh, Pele is a, a, a little not that forthcoming of, but um, he's trying to kind of figure out where all their uh, history came from and kind of document it because, as he notes, like nothing in this village has really ever been documented. Um, to kind of speed a little bit along, you know, there's a lot of oddness that at first they are kind of um, uh, brushing off as cultural differences. But then a couple big things happen. And obviously Christian and Danny are are not communicating well. Christian forgets Danny's birthday. Um, and she just feels more and more alone. And there's nothing worse than like being in it. You're already feeling somewhat isolated because the only, you know, the only people there who really uh, you have any like cultural connection with are kind of being distant to you. Uh, with the exception of uh, Pele, who starts trying to connect with her and shares that his his uh, family died when he was very young, too. And this community here is what had uh, kind of embraced him and showed him love so that he never felt alone, even with the death of people that he was close to. So a couple incidents really start putting some things over the edge. The first one um, is um, well, I'm going to use the director's cut version um, is that they go out to uh, they, I mean, they start seeing some weird stuff. There's like a temple. There's a bear. There's um, these these kind of tapestries and paintings that like show stories of like um, women or girls cutting off their pubic hair and putting them into pies to make people fall in love. Nothing too concerning on the surface, but some kind of uh, uh, portents of things to come. It could uh, all be it could all be chalked up to yeah. cultural differences. And exactly like the, the uniqueness that has drawn. Uh, an anthropologist there for their dissertation and another anthropologist there who just decides to scum on that dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, uh, which we'll get to. Um, so they go off to the ceremony honoring these the, the two eldest couple, people who just turned or recently turned 72. And they're kind of standing. The couple goes or the, the, these people go up on this cliff face and they like jump down and die in this horribly brutal way. Like one of them smashing their face on the rock. The other one's breaking their legs but surviving and having to get their face smashed in with a giant mallet. Uh, everyone's horrified. We should note there's two other uh, uh, people who Pele's uh, brother brought there. Uh, Connie and Simon who are a couple. Um, and they, everyone is kind of immediately horrified of how this could happen. Everyone at the, from the, from the village is like, well, just, you know, they're 72. Like, this is what we do. This is like, they want this to happen. It's a peaceful transition of like, you know, them leaving the world to, to people that are younger than them. And like, there is that kind of thing where they don't want to judge too harshly, but also recognize that they've seen something horrific. So there's another incident that night in the director's cut that where it seems like they're going to drown uh, a volunteer child in the in the river or lake to um, sate uh, a god's need for uh, to sacrifice a child in a in a lake, um, but they call it off based on on mercy. Um, and so Christian and uh, Danny continue to kind of their their relationship uh, degrades even more. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, is it Dagny or Inga? Inga. 
Inga's the, the girl that has a crush on Christian, right? Yes, yes. And okay. she's the My, I thought it was Maya. Oh, maybe. I mean, looking at the castle. It is Maya. You're right. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's Maya. I should know. I mean, it is Maya. It's spelled completely differently, but it is Maya. <laughs> daughter's name um <laughs> what a what a what a, what a twisted it. association that you have now <laughs> yeah I, just, I maybe i very actively tried to avoid the association carrie so thank you yeah thank you for <laughs> thank you for getting correcting me with the right answer now i need to move <laughs> uh, so uh so yeah so there's also this uh this person who i guess she's 15 right they make a point of that yeah, she's definitely a minor. She is? I mean, yeah, she's definitely a minor. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, because they oh, okay. say that now that she's 15, she's, like, old enough to pursue someone later when uh, when they talk oh, to Christian. Oh, God, about I forgot so, about that. So she's, a, right, she's okay. a 15-year-old who, worth noting, uh, Mark really wants to have sex with, but she has her sights set on Christian, and she's actually been, like, putting pubic hairs in his soup. Meanwhile, the other like oh, sorry, uh, not to this is sort of irrelevant because it's still way too fucking young, especially for Christian because he's like a fucking grad student, so he's got to be in his like late mid to late twenties. Apparently, in Sweden, the age of consent is fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that that's ethical. I'm saying that like that's maybe something that like the Swedish audience would see differently. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's still the, it's it's still read as being grossly exploitative, but we can get to all that when we get to the, theming. The actress also does not look 15. Oh, I think, yeah. she, I mean, I think she looks under 18. Okay. I mean, she's clearly not because. I think, I th- yeah, I felt like she looked mature enough that any mentions of her age just sort of went, went past me because she looked, she looks quite adult, oh, even so if inno- innocent. I see. I, f- I almost thought it was the opposite, which is why this time around oh. I was like paying more. Because t- I'm like, was she supposed to be like, she just looks like a child compared to the rest of them. And this time oh, there's okay. a line where she's like, she's 15. That is the time that, you know, women in our culture. It's interesting that that corresponds um, to the age of consent, consent in Sweden. Yeah, only I hate bringing up age that's of consent. That's interesting. I hate, I, I hate bringing up age of consent stuff because it always makes you sound like a creep. Because like ethics and law are not the same thing. But I just thought it was an interesting point because this. It is interesting though because the yeah because the village tries very hard to follow laws and avoid uh, people looking into it. So it's interesting that they're. Their like cultural like she's old enough corresponds with yes. the legal age. So I think from that perspective, it's it kind of fits with w- how they're trying to um, incorporate not being uh, lawbreakers or seen as lawbreakers into their society. Totally. Um, yes. So no one digs yes. into. Anyways, so um, so uh, Connie and Simon decide to leave. Connie's looking for Simon, and they're like, oh, yeah, we took him to town. They're like, why would he? He wouldn't leave without me. They're like, yeah, there's you know, there's not enough room. He was in a hurry. We had to catch the train. Uh, Danny's seeing all this and is, like, totally weirded out. Danny tries to go uh, to tell uh, Christian about it, and he's like he, – he's decided to also do his – uh, dissertation on uh, on midsummer here uh, here in the village and uh, and he's not really paying. He's like, yeah, that's what a dickhead. And uh, there's a great moment where like Danny recognizes why Christian doesn't see that as like as a red flag because he would do something like that. So of course he doesn't see that as out of the ordinary because he's an asshole who would leave his girlfriend if it potentially would be. Uh, make sure that he got on the thing that he wanted to get on, and she she kind of says that, which uh, continues to break apart their relationship. Meanwhile, um, eventually Connie disappears too, and they have a whole story for 
for them. Um, uh, last couple of big things, Mark pees on a tree in the morning and they freak out that it's the tree of the ancestors. And this one man is just like, cannot stop crying. And Mark's like, what? I didn't know. Like I was just peeing. And that leads to, um, there's this holy book that they're reading from that is, that is made by, uh, the holy books <laughs> are a continuous, um, thing that keeps getting written by, uh, the, the, the product of incest in the town that they purposely uh, create in, uh, kids based on incestual breeding to become the people that are filling out the, their holy books. Um, Josh, understandably, for his dissertation, wants a closer look at this. He's told he cannot look at it. Um, he breaks in in the middle of the night only to find Mark, who's starting the process of being hollowed out because the he, he gets kind of uh, waylaid in, in the... Night because of his transgression. Uh, it probably was already going to happen, but it seems like it was expedited by peeing on the log. And then and the woman that the woman that pulled him away to kill him is mine. The, is the 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 woman that pulled Mark away? No, is um the daughter of the man who was very upset about the the oh yeah yeah saying yeah. so he goes after Maya and she gets pulled away by um I want to say Dagny. Yeah, I'm I, I'm having trouble I, with yeah. the, the I can't of the keep cast. track of most of their names. Yeah, but basically there's like Umar or a name similar to that is very, very upset about the yeah. pissing on the the uh, root whatever they call the the, the old the fallen the old tree. tree. Yeah. yeah, he gets very he gets very upset by that, which is totally totally justifiable. He's basically pissing on a, a gravestone. It's and actually then, the only time though I understand like Mark not quite understanding. <laughs> Yeah, Mark is Mark. Mark also immediately reacts to that moment. Like he he's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't know what I was doing." I was doing, and then he immediately turns his attention to like, "Man, I'd love to fuck that." <laughs> like Mark is yeah, just like yeah. a dumb. He's yeah. just like a dumb horny yeah. bro. Um, but like he, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not to interrupt, but yeah, like no, that, he gets specifically pulled away by the one that like decided to seduce him. But that one is the daughter of the man who was very very upset about this. Which yep. like, yeah. So it's I think the I think the 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 killing is connected to that moment. I think the timing of the killing cuz you basically find out that he was he I mean he was a goner but like right like because they needed him. They they need uh what is it like three outsiders, three um people from the inside and then like one person of choosing by the main queen. 4 4 it's 9. Yes, uh, 9 not 7. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. um so, so yeah, so uh, they have their uh, May Queen Festival, which essentially means, like, uh, the the women um, are taking some sort of hallucinogen and dancing and then being told to stop dancing. And if they fall over, they're out until the last person standing. Meanwhile, um, uh, Christian's been pulled aside by the matriarch of the village and is like, hey, we need to bring in new blood sometimes so that we're, you know... To make sure that we're not all the products of incest. And so Amaya's 15. She's ready for sex. We want you to have sex with her. We promise Danny will never find out. And he definitely. And, and then like he's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. And she's like, well, isn't this why you're here for your dissertation to study culture? Oh, I don't know if we mentioned that jo- uh, Josh also gets knocked out when he, after the book. And then he he disappears too. Uh so just in case you didn't know that, Josh has a gun. Anyways, um, so Christian kind of yeah, goes I, I back. I derailed you right around that. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that was that was clear. So it's just Christian and Danny, and their relationship is basically at its, at its breaking point. Um, he, Christian goes and sits. He's given by, again, the, that daughter again, 
uh, a hallucinogen, which he's like, I shouldn't do that. And she's like, no, it breaks down your defenses. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll drink it. Uh, Danny wins May, May Queen. They cover her in flowers. They give this big uh, feast. Uh, and it, it's such a great moment because everyone is dressed from, from in white. And Christian specifically is just completely out of place, kind of hunched over in pain from, I, I think, just guilt and uh, more so the drugs that he's taken and feeling out of place. They whisk Danny off to go on kind of a carriage ride, a celebration. Uh, Christian then gets taken to the, the fuck hut. Um, Which end up being like right next to each other, right? I mean, yeah. it's not a huge village, Carrie. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's part of that's part of rural horror is that like. But I feel like they should have kept them as on, on as opposite ends as possible. And they didn't do that. I think yeah. at some point they don't care. Like if as long as he that's climaxes. True. Everything else is sort of fine. But anyways, in the fuck cut, uh, Christian fucks. Uh, and, <laughs> the, um, what kind of structure is it? He's fucking... Like the town, I think, in some ways. Um, a no, good chunk. trying to get you to say hut separately. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he's fucking in the hut. Is that, is, so it's not just a clever name. I, I mean, it's an empty hut, so I don't know what else they're using it for. <laughs> it's, where, it's where they have their orgies. Yeah, I mean, it's... Is it an orgy if only, like, two people are actively participating and everyone else is cheering them on? It feels more like it's just, like, a like a, a cool party. Broadway show, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that was an orgy, but these people clearly oh, have also yeah, have I orgies, and they do their orgies in the fuck hut. Yeah. That old, yeah where where woman, else would you have your orgies? You have the sleep hut and the fuck hut. The only, I, the I think that older woman counts as being a sexual member of the party. She's helping his thrust go deeper. <laughs> I don't know. That's I such mean, a uh, it's such it's such an uncomfortable scene. It is. Uh, uh, my wife was. I, I mean, we'll talk about how funny this movie is for how horrific it is. It has a lot of very funny moments. This is definitely one of those both horrific, but then like you cannot help but be caught up with just the ridiculousness of it. Uh, and I, the, you know, Christian does a really good job of selling with those eyes that <laughs> are impossibly large the entire time. There's I mean, no for way. someone who is like risking or not risking, but like ready to throw away a three and a half year relationship to fucking the fuck hut, like he does not look like he enjoys a second of the fuck huttery. So he he gets there's a moment when uh, one of the women, um, not the the thrust sister. Um, just starts singing at him. Just comes in a frame and starts singing at him, singing like a some sort of chant, some sort of ritual chant. And he's looking at her. With, yeah, those big bug eyes you called out. And there's no way in fuck that's not supposed to be funny. I was in I was in the theater yeah. and everyone gasped at the moment when it's just a room full of naked women of all shapes and sizes and ages. Everyone gasped like people weren't like haha boobs. Um, yeah. This is also tricky using hereditary, just like the shock of seeing a normal not non-sexual nudity yeah like a normal person's naked ass body um and uh then when that that moment she comes into the frame everyone let out a very cathartic laugh Laugh, because and then all the laughing stopped once the pace kind of picked up and the chanting got more pained yeah um so you kind of have everyone one thing that starts to happen near the end of this is like this idea of people experiencing your feelings with you which is also something that pele talked about as being like so crucial to how he feels accepted in the village right so 
the, everyone starts chanting along the orgasm noises that Maya is having, very notably not the ones that Christian's having, because he's not having any noises, except uh, shocked gasping. Um, um, and and meanwhile, uh, Danny walks in on this. They try to, like, barely try to dissuade her for going into the fuck hut. But she looks in the fuck hut, and what does she see in the fuck hut? Fucking. Fuck, fucking. Um, I mean, you look in the fuck hut, I don't want you to be surprised. Yeah, like, what did you expect? That's what we're doing our... You know, pottery. Yeah, <laughs> that's the pottery. Fuck hut. Yeah, if you see this fuck out of rocking, I mean, if the, there's an earthquake. <laughs> well, it's not like there's a sign that says "fuck hut" out. I know front. it is. It is. Maybe the, she it thought is it was the pottery hut. Like a penis. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it is. It does have like a weird hood to it. It's also yeah, it kind does. of vaginal. Little clitoral, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's not. Uh, it definitely is. It looks most like sex organs. Just... Yeah, it reminds me of the. Um, the the uh, gamepad thing from Existence, where if you look at it from one <laughs> it angle, it looks like a penis and, and ball sack. But if you look at it from another angle, it's like obviously a vagina. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's where it was taken directly from. Uh, so Danny runs crying into the, the sleep hut and uh, she's met by a bunch of people that say, we know what you saw. We know what you've experienced. We're here to. Not dissuade you from feeling your feelings or for you to hide them, but to feel them with you. So she has like a a breakdown on the floor. Worth noting for the like this movie is full of Danny breakdowns that are very loud and like just brutally uh, like primal and visceral and everything else. And like, she, you know, she's always alone for them. No one no one feels her feelings with her. And in this scene, like she's having one of those breakdowns, but instead of like the pained moans of someone who's gone through like unbelievable heartbreak, it almost turns into much like the fuck hut chanting into like some sort of rhythmic music of some sort where they're kind of screaming along with her in rhythm and convulsing. And it's like this clearly a cathartic experience. Christian finish, you know, completes the, the fuck huttery and he runs out naked. And again, it's bright and sunny and you know, um, it's not that big of a village, so he's trying to figure out where to go. He definitely picks the wrong woodshed where they find uh, Simon uh, upside down with his lungs pulled out, um, and they kind of knock him out. And then when he wakes up, they're like, he's in a wheelchair, and they say, you won't be able to move. And they kind of bring everyone out, and they say, hey, that's where they kind of announce what the ending of this 90th the every 90 year festival is which is they offer up four outsiders four people in the village and one person chosen by the queen to as like an offering to the gods to bring another 90 years of uh good weather and good health and and good crops and everything else so you find out that the four uh other friends are they've also all been stuffed with straw because they're going to be burned as an offering uh, there's two people in the village that are also dead and stuffed with straw. One of the people, and then there's two like uh, alive volunteers who are going to be burned alive. One of them being Pele's brother, and uh, they give Danny a choice between uh, one random person in the village chosen by lottery or Christian. And you don't get to see her choice. You do get to see a lot of uh, uh, upper or lower lip frowns that get more and more intense. <laughs> Um, but you start seeing, uh, the next thing you see is Christian being, uh, the bear that you'd seen for a second that you thought was a silly joke, uh, is killed on a table. They hollow the bear out. They put Christian inside. He's not able to talk or move. 
and they put him in the center of this like yellow triangular hut that they're going to burn as an offering. They uh, put all the other people that are, you know, dead and straw in their corners. The two village offerings, they give them some um, Yule oil. Is that what it's called, Peter? The, the, yeah, the yew tree, which is like yew a... Yew tree. It's a poison tree often used in um, either poison or in medical, medical they, uses. Yeah, they say, they give them a little, they say, you're not going to feel anything now that we're giving you this. Uh, then, then oh, they bro, were, it's fine. I know we're setting you on fire, but we're, we gave you some tree sap. <laughs> we so gave you good, some dude. sap. Yeah. Like, dude, you're, you, are, you are fucking fine. I mean, if anyone's a sap in that scene, it's those two. <laughs> <laughs> they volunteered for it. I know. Losers. Um, Way to go, Gunnar, or whatever your fucking name is. Yeah, just because you have a... Yeah, we'll get there. I don't want to derail that much. Okay, so anyways, <sighs> they burn... Um, so close. Yeah, so they burn it alive. Um, Christian can't move or scream, but you just see him slowly being burned to death, sitting up in his bear costume. Uh, the two village people are start... When they cut on fire, are screaming, knowing that they are going to feel everything... The people outside of the village start again echoing the emotions uh, by just screaming and wriggling and walking and, you know, falling over and like um, uh, almost feels like a little bit of a mockery at some point. But we can we can get there. And then Danny, like, again, is expressing the pain in this uh, and she's all covered in flowers and joining in. And at the end, she has a big smile on her face, and she has found her fa- a family that actually, quote unquote, cares about her. Um, and my wife liked the movie quite a bit. She did not like the ending. Uh, when I asked her, well, how would you have ended it? She goes, I don't know, but not that. <laughs> so... Uh, we have, I actually think now that we've actually gone 50 minutes, I mean, we have a lot of thoughts about what all that shit means. Uh, let's take a break and let's get into it, guys. Let's do it. Sounds good. So, so Midsommar. Um, thanks, Aaron, for recapping the plot. Um, You're welcome, Peter. I, so, I do most things for you. So <laughs> There's kind of two things I want to kick off uh, kind of the centerpiece of the movie with, which is one, that this movie is about like anthropologists going into this space uh, and trying to figure out their rituals and uh, tr- for some of them, it's just, you know, figuring out their thesis that they need to write uh, for their academic career. Um, And then as an audience, we also become anthropologists, especially as the anthropologists in the movie die, uh, because we're trying to figure out what this culture is. And there's kind of a strange push-pull that happens that I think is going to be probably the centerpiece of a lot of our discussions or conflicts here in this episode. Because, like, um, at times I'm like, yeah, I mean... 
it's strange, but lots of cultures on the planet are strange. And, you know, my knee jerk uh, apprehension to them is is um, not necessarily helpful. Um, and then there's other stuff where it's like, well, yeah, this is a horror movie that was originally pitched to Ari Aster as a slasher movie. Um, so it's 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 in genre tropes. They bring a bunch of people to a spooky cult commune far out in Europe where they far out in this the Swedish uh, forest where you need a truck to get to and yada yada. Um, and one by one, the group gets picked off until we have a final girl. Like from that perspective, it's like incredibly traditional and, you know, it fits nicely into evil cult stuff. So it's kind of these two things are at, at contrast to, to one another. And I feel like a good place to start is um, talk about folk horror for like a minute. And then I want to talk about the senicide se- sequence, the uh, Ateshupa Ate scene, um, which is the uh, suicide of the two 72-year-old um, people, uh, the voluntary suicide of the two 72-year-old people. Um, and uh, folk horror is a genre that Aaron and I have already discussed, maybe in 2022, maybe in 2023, doing a whole month on, maybe a double month on, because it's a genre that I'm my, both of us have a lot of uh, warm feelings for. Uh, Kill List, which we already covered this month, also qualifies as folk horror. But just sort of um, defining what it is really quickly, um, folk horror is very much about uh, old traditions, old religions um, coming up and clashing with the modern world. There's usually an outsider, so in the case of Wicker Man, it's the cop going to the island, the Summer Isle. Um, also, this movie has a lot of Wicker Man DNA. Um, I don't know how much we're going to talk about it this much, but um, yeah, this movie has a ton of Wicker Man DNA. It's about a harvest festi- festival that requires the sacrifice in a Wicker Man. Less songs. Um, great folky songs. Um, Is it less songs, though, than Wicker Yeah. Man? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the songs in this movie are all in um, in some sort of Swedish tongue. Um, yeah, they were. They this is more like animal collective and chanting. Yeah, yeah, and 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 and, and Wicker Man's more like Cat Stevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 infused with the '60s. This is very much reaching back to a further era. Um, but yeah, uh, folk horror. I feel like my I, I've you know you read the Wikipedia page, yada yada. But like, I feel like the best way to define it is that like. It, it came about um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, particularly in British film, Blood on Satan's Claw, Wicker Man. And while gothic horror, which was sort of on the outs in the 70s, but very popular in the 60s, um, is very much about a old Victorian style, this, this old opulence fading and leaving behind this um th- these remains of, of uh, old memories, hauntings, ghosts. Um, and it, but it's about like, rich old british people sitting in their mansion drinking cognac and getting sad right um folk horror was supposed to be in contrast to that um or at least it ended up being in contrast to that which is that it's a rural horror story it's it's about people whose traditions go back uh, older older than uh, all their ancestors it goes back to the the very soil that they they work with um, these are these are traditions that have kept them alive even as Christianity came battering at the door outside influences came battering at the door um, and different cultures came through uh, for some reason within this small little community with a few outsiders popping in for some reason this this small little community has retained their traditions and you know on one sense it's it's uh they're very much stories about xenophobia and you know you know what it feels like to be an outsider 
Um, even, you know, uh, Wicker Man is about, like, the most straight-edge of, of men <laughs> having to deal with, straight-edge Christian men having to deal with this crazy pagan sex cult. Um, and then um, the... But in it very often ends up being like, well, yeah, the cult was murderous because otherwise it wouldn't be a horror movie, right? Um, this movie, uh, kind of, to jump back to what I was saying, like, this movie had origins as a slasher story before Aster kind of took it and reshaped it into something a little bit more interesting. You could still see those bones in there. But the centerpiece that makes this movie so much more complicated than any of the other folk horrors I've seen is the senicide scene, the Atashupa scene. Um, which, like I said, involves two old people um, voluntarily jumping off of a cliff at the age of 72. And so the point of this is that they uh, see the circle of life as a cycle. So, um, you know, they they give themselves back to the earth. Um, the method of suicide is as primal as you can get, right? Like defenestration, this is primal as you get. It's, it's older than stone weapons. Um, just falling out of a fucking tree is older than stone weapons, right? Um, and, uh, this scene is incredibly triggering for Danny and, uh, her Christian and Josh, both are kind of weirdly excited by this moment more than they're horrified because them as outsiders, this makes for a great fucking thesis. Like this is an, this yeah, is an that is the moment I didn't mention, but that's the part where Christian's like, I'm doing something on this too. Yes. And, and, and a, a real, they're definitely also horrified though. Yeah. Like the, the camera lingers on their faces and their faces are deeply upset so at what they're seeing. Pele and Ingemar, they're not, not quite ready to go into the fuck hut yet. They're like, yeah. Pele no. and Ingemar failed to warn them about this, which I feel like was a failure on their point, their part. Um, because everyone in the group is like looking around confused when the outsider starts screaming. And then one of the other outsiders is not Pele, like one of the um, women elders, I'm assuming. She's wearing like different clothes than everyone else. Is like, this is an old tradition. This is like how we see the circle of life. Like, please calm down. This is a very important moment for us. And then Christian goes back to his... Uh, his is uh the, the house or whatever the, the where they're, they're lodging and talks to uh danny who's danny's just straight up horrified she's like this is awful and then christian's like yeah but we stick old people in nursing homes and um he sort of does it as a half-hearted kind of defense of it so that he can still do his thesis and really quickly this atashupa um it doesn't hold up to research i'm sure ari Aster knew that also um it's a it was an old myth and, and, and also kind of a joke about a miserly old man who commits suicide to spite people. Um, and then it, over over the years, these sites, these Atashupa sites, because um, that denotes the site, not the actual ritual. Um, it, it, it sort of became a myth in Swedish culture and um, it became a joke again. And radio DJs, when whenever they'd make cults, uh, sorry. A, a, there was also an instance of radio DJs making jokes about Atashupa um, when Swedish government would make cuts to the social safety net. So it kind of ties back in, so which is like, like they're like, like our death panels or whatever. Yeah, they're like, oh, they're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, instead of giving seniors longer term care, why don't we just throw them off a fucking a fucking mountain? And so, like, this whole sequence is very interesting because it is about like the cultural contrast, how we view the end of life, and that like. Our end of life in Western civilizations is also not particularly dignified either. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this is this is part of like knowing where the movie goes. 
Um, I mean, theoretically, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, like, I definitely don't have a problem with, like, euthanasia or anything like that. Like, you know, I, the, this scene specifically is voluntary in the sense that the people aren't fighting it, although, like, it's also voluntary, mandatory in the culture that they're a part of. Like, my guess is they don't have the option to opt out. They, they know that, and they're, you know, being part of the ritual. I'm not saying they want to opt out. But it is still kind of like, um, you know, they're 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 volunteering for something that the, the the their cultural norms haven't really given them a way out of, which feels a little bit less less as obvious as like, well, they're you know, they they're ready to die, and that's what they're that's that's kind of their tradition, and they're jumping off a cliff. I also will say, and this is kind of my problem with a little bit of that, uh, and I don't mean to be like dismissive of. I'm definitely not not dismissive of like other traditions that are uh, different than what I'm used to, but I also think like kn- knowing where th- this tradition ultimately leads and like what this what this uh, society is fine with. It's not just like it's not just like they're they're bringing in people to murder them. They're like grotesquely skinning them, and they're you know they're they're lying to everybody. Like I I feel like. Uh, whatever their traditions that they put around this like murder thing that they do that I would actually we can talk about this later that I actually think that even though the 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 this particular fire burning murder festival only occurs once every 90 years I think there's a lot of hints that they're bringing people in and murdering them uh, more often than just once every 90 years uh, which probably 100%. also Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, I mean, like, and they almost have to be to be this comfortable with murdering people, right? Like this many people and setting them on fire and everything else. Like, uh, but we can talk about some some parts where I think the movie is specifically calling for that. I just, yeah, but I just they're also feel not like very last... good at it too. Like they're not very good at it. Like most of these rituals end up going kind of poorly. So, like, you yeah. know, I could see it either way. Like. Either they're just so comfortable with these myths that they're okay with these these murders being every 90 years, even though, you know, no one was around for the last cycle. Um, but I also could see it being a thing where, like, they do occasionally murder people, but it's never it's never on the scale where they're professionals at it. There's a lot of fuck-ups in this movie. Notably, the second genocide is it needs to be executed. Yeah, they're so trapped and they're isolated, they don't need to be hitmen, but they also are, like, fucking professionally skinning a bear to put someone in it and drugging them so he can't move. I guess, like, that that, be a that's... a taxidermist. Uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> that's... But that's ultimately my thing, is, like, it's hard for me to separate their traditions that are theoretically less harmful to people that aren't, uh, that aren't participating when all of those things are used to support this like vile murderous cult and yeah. i'm not i'm not try- like that yeah. that's the pro- like how can you separate those two it's like um you know it's like uh and i'm i'm not i don't mean this to be like uh jokey or anything like this but like like when you're looking at like a jim jones or some other like ultimate cult that co- like you know has committed vile things scientology like you get to the point where it's really hard to like pick out like well this did did originate from this cultural thing and is ultimately a good thing for people. Like there's so much, uh, you know, evil in a like secular standpoint being done in that, in that, um, in that cult that like, 
it's really hard to to pull apart the stuff that is part of some sort of heritage or culturally significant uh because it like it ultimately is in service of this 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 grotesque uh ritual and a devaluation of human life i i have i have a few things to say about this um the first is uh in terms of pele and ingemar warning people josh also knew about this ahead of time he smiles he's like he doesn't yeah. smile yeah. he doesn't warn anyway he's like he's kind of excited he knows what it's gonna be and he of all people definitely should have told danny and he and at that at that by that point in the movie that. by that point in the movie he seems like of the grad school guys he seems like the least asshole of all of them yeah but then finding out that he knew what danny had just gone through so did pele both of them like they knew they knew what she had just gone through and they deliberately don't tell her i'm like you guys fucking suck this is yeah. this is very bad. They all suck um, in different ways. Yeah, but they all suck. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do think they. What I want to get to for like my thesis, I do think they are trying to reinflict trauma to Danny on purpose. Like n- maybe not. Um, Pella, Pella, yes, Josh, no. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yes. Um. No, I, I think you're right about that. My big takeaway from the scene as a whole. Is that as triggering as it is for Danny, I also think it is the seed of her fascination and comfort in the community. Because when we first meet her, she is undergoing a shocking, traumatic death event where she was not expecting to lose her entire immediate family all at once it's a tragedy it's uh something that she couldn't have anticipated couldn't have planned for and now all of a sudden she's in a community where death is expected yeah where you are expected to live and i'm sure there are still random things that happen and obviously there are like other sacrifices and whatnot but generally speaking there is an expectation that you live until you're 72 and then you kill yourself and I can see in a really twisted way something like that being comforting mm-hmm. and something like that being like, well, I have just dealt with the trauma of unexpected death. And at least if I stick around these people, there is going to be a ritual and, a, and an expectation of how this happens. And there's a way of dealing with it that there isn't where I'm from. And if I go back to the real world, I'm going to have to deal with unexpected loss again. Yeah. And it's important to note a couple things. Like, one, um, just, like, the, yeah, this is severely triggering for Danny in a way that, like, obviously thousands of year old rituals um, cannot be built intentionally to trigger someone. Um, but this this is, like, severely triggering for Danny and that Danny wasn't necessarily recruited into this she basically like got dragged along by christian and now and she 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 didn't understand what she was getting into she was never pele didn't recruit her he was just nice about her going which josh and mark were not um and then two senicide is an interesting thing to be an old timey kind of um an old timey tradition that has has prevailed because as the 
Um, here, hold on. I'm gonna look at something really quick. Average lifespan in Sweden. It's gotta be way higher than 72. 82. 82 mm. and a half. It's not quite Japan numbers, but that's pretty fucking good. Scandinavia knows what they're doing. Um, but um, so the uh, that 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 is, but that's presumably an older model uh, that they they dragged forward, which was once you reach a certain age, um, because of lacking um, healthcare and such. After that age, it's actually better to you know put people out of their misery when we can't. We have no pain. No real um, pain management tools. I don't know if you guys noticed the U tree thing didn't work. Um, this old model was, pra- was practiced in basically, I'm sure it was practiced in other cultures, but basically every nomadic culture um, at different points. Um, every hunty- hunter-gatherer culture at different points. Um, like <laughs> people from people from uh, from Africa, from the Middle East, from the Americas, some of some of um, some of Northern Europe, like. When older people or people that had um, diseases or had uh, mental disabilities or physical disabilities and couldn't keep up with the group, they would give them, usually give them some food or something to, to, you know, as a kindness and then leave them on the road, which is a death sentence, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is very much how the world used to be thrown in our face in a bit, but also, like, we're better in that, like, my grampy is 94 and happy and lives in his own home and has health care. But like, there's a lot of old people who just get shoved aside and left to die and have no serious pain management other than, Hey, why don't you try opioids out? So like, this is the moment where it's like, obviously Aaron, as you pointed out, you put this up against the later actions and this seems so much more barbaric, but this is the weird moment in the movie where it asks you hard questions, which usually horror movies in their middle don't ask you hard questions. They're just like, would you like to be stabbed? And like, not really. Not particularly fond of it. This is more of like, well, obviously the death of Danny's sister and her parents was fucking stupid. It's pointless. It's, it's a horrible thing that should have never fucking happened in any context, right? Um, she she should have gotten the proper care that she needed, and you know that suffering should have should have not existed. But then we start asking, like, like, well, how should a human life end with dignity? I don't I, I don't know. Like, this is the part where it gets chewier, and then later on it just becomes a horror movie. So, like, I actually don't find the ending as chewy as I find the senicide. And it also unlocks the empathetic um, screaming in unison sequence, which is going to become a theme as the movie goes on. Sharing pain through mutual screaming, holding someone's hand, and if they're crying and wailing, you cry and wail with them. So, I, I do want to mention, um, like... I think you're right that, like, obviously there wasn't, like, um, some, um, you know, machinations to get Danny there to be the May Queen. I do think that once Danny ended up going, and this will kind of get to my my theming where I've kind of landed in some ways on this movie, is that they recognize as Danny as someone who – that they can add to their numbers, which is something that uh, this group and all cults try to do. They try to identify people – who are would potentially be receptive to what the cult is offering and in most cases um that's why we delineate them like as a as a cult as opposed to a self-help group it's preying on some form of trauma that they've experienced that they have some solution for so my I, I had a lot of these thoughts the first time around I saw the movie. It really kind of solidified watching it the second time that I and, – and I 
I'm going to leave the the meta the allegorical version because I think that'll lead into some areas that I know Carrie wants to go into, um, and maybe I can mention that like that reading. Um, I think like the first time I saw it, I was really like struck by the the kind of idea of uh, you know, especially it's it's 2019. It's, there's a lot of this uh, rightful talk about like gaslighting and toxic relationships and like the type of like abuse that is just as damaging as physical abuse, but isn't something that like gets as much air out there or like, and, 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 uh, you know, this is really a movie that you can almost say like is, is about a woman who is in this, is you know, what we would just call a emotionally available or shitty boyfriend, but he's really like putting her through this trauma on his own combined with a re like a, the amount of times like that, there's a, there's actually a scene I really love in the director's cut where, and it happens actually again, or it happens a couple times that like think like it's not it's 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 reminiscent of bad relationships that I've had. And I mean relationship in the way that like work relationships, friendships, romantic relationships that we've all experienced. Where, um, you know when when she when Danny finds out that she um that he's going to Sweden and didn't mention it. And he, she tries to have, like, an adult conversation with him about it. Like, hey, I'm not, like, yelling at you. I'm not angry and I'm being realistic. But you understand how that could hurt me. And he gets defensive and blames her and pretends there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. And at the end, like, she ends up, like, trying to be supportive and apologizing to him, right? Because, like, he has, he has not acknowledged fault or intent so much. Like, so much, it went around the other w way and it became putting it on her as 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 her reaction to it being being the problem and like i understand that a lot like based on like the way i was raised like a lot of times like with my parents and stuff like that you couldn't just have a like usually if you wanted peace by the end you had to be apologizing even if you were trying to talk about some shitty thing that they did to you and like you know growing up in that environment and also being the oldest of a lot of kids you just kind of end up like being a person who sometimes like tries to uh, to try to talk about ways that you feel hurt or, uh, you know, whatever else. And sometimes like are pretty quick to going back to apologizing for it. Some I've worked on hard in myself, but like, it's something that's really thrown in your, in your face in this movie of like, here's someone who is literally being like, you know, kind of turned around on that. And like, from an allegorical standpoint, like there is something tempting to go like, here's this person surrounded by, uh, her, her ostensibly her, boyfriend and her boyfriend's friends that she knows decently well after her whole family is dead and 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 trying to you know she's still all alone she's all alone there's no one there she cries alone she screams alone there's no one there for her and there's something i think tempting that i think more reviewers and more people that have seen this movie that i would like have totally latched onto this thing being uh, a component of empowerment of you know, she literally burns away the toxic elements in her life and is now surrounded by people that she loves. And I think if you if you are not trying to look at this in any sort of realistic concept or and it's just all allegory and, and everyone is not a person but a symbol, you can get that reading. But like the reading that I think coexists to that, that is also like the part that I feel like has gotten less air and less attention is that. This is also like a really intimate look at how cults operate from the perception of a character that you really like and you want good things for because she's been through so much. And like the way that cults or people trying to, to 
exploit or take advantage, usually they find someone who doesn't have, you know, who has gone through a trauma, who uh, is, um, who doesn't have people to rely on, who doesn't have that human connection, and they offer that missing piece of the puzzle theoretically by giving them what they need on the terms that they join them in things that are are kind of uh, vile and gross and evil and all these things and they're able to twist those those things into empowerment that actually burning your your shitty boyfriend who definitely is a shitty boyfriend and definitely you shouldn't have a relationship with and and all and you need to cut that person out of their your life um that like burning him alive is actually an act of empowerment because you were able to make a decision and separate yourself completely for this when you know it's 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 like not empowering like it christian's shitty and he has his crimes to answer for um, I think most of us would agree that burning, like burning him and his friends alive, is is also maybe worse than that. Um, but yeah. like, I don't know, man. You remember that sequence when he when he says, "I just apologize, Danny." Like, chuck him. Yeah, in the I mean, tr- I mean, chuck he, him in the fucking a frame, man. I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve, uh, you know, some level of like he. I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it, so it, fun to wish death on fictional characters. That's where the uh, that exactly talking about is sure. the, the good for her, the good for her genre that that Carrie uh, you you brought up. So so uh, why? Well, she she hasn't brought it up only in text. Uh, we brought yeah, we were we were chatting about it earlier, but let's talk about it now. Yes, the, the the good for her genre because it's so fun to talk about this stuff in that context, and I think a lot of people are are sort of being ironic. They're not making a full moral judgment in those movies in the the good for her genre. The idea is like in so many of these genre movies, women get fucking boots on their face over and over and over again, <clears throat> and the idea that at the t- at the end of the movie, like that a, a woman has squeaked out some some semblance of a victory, some weird mirror image of a victory, even if it's like, you know, maybe not your perfect ethical scenario. Like that's, that's when good for her applies. <laughs> like it's, it's funny. Oh, sorry. I just want to say though, I do think that most to my point, I do think that, and maybe this is my, my, uh, like, I do feel like most reviews and letterbox things and commentary I saw in this movie, what, I do think they saw it as a pure allegory and missed the parts about like the 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 way that cults suck people in and make the vile seem empowering. Like I, I do think that from the of the, the at least the immediate cultural conversation about this movie, I feel like that took a very far back seat to the uh you know, the the you go Danny contingent. Yeah. When I when I started hearing about this meme it was, you know, the movies that kept coming up were like Midsummer, The Witch, Suspiria, um, Ready or Not, stuff like that. And I I have so much discomfort with I mean, maybe maybe Peter's right that it's meant kind of ironically. I the way I've seen people discuss it, I haven't really gotten that vibe. I mean they um, use a Lucille Bluth gif, so that's why sure. I think it's, it's supposed to be a little bit with a, a wink, because even that character, Lucille Bluth is an evil person. <laughs> sure. Um, I think that that concept kind of gets at a big part of my issue with this movie. Um, 
because the idea the idea that a character, a female character, has to go through epic amounts of trauma and then she gets one moment of like somewhat empowerment at the end and that's the thing that self-actualizes her feels so hollow to me and in the context of this movie in particular I don't f- I it's not a movie that gives me emotional catharsis and it's not a movie where I feel like true empathy is ever on display um I I think it's I think it's really good and effective at a lot of the horror that it evokes but nothing about the ending feels like a win to me because it seems very clear that she is ending up in another just as emotionally abusive situation as yeah. the ones that she's been in all along. 100%. Yes. I'm I'm 70%, and but yeah. I'm I'm yeah. Nothing about that um ritualized empathy is something that reads as true empathy to me. Yeah. I uh, literally yeah. that's why like it's like it's yeah. it literally is mockery, right? Like I I disagree. Really I don't I don't that. think it's I don't think yeah. it's I don't think it's mockery, but I think uh, that it's Sorry. Yeah, it's it's it is mimicry. I don't think that it's making fun of her, but I think yeah, that I it's think- I think that it's missing the point where I don't think there's really except for a couple moments with Pele and even then I have suspicions about his motives and what's actually happening there um but I don't think there's really any scene in the movie where she's allowed to just like get her shit out there and someone just holds space yeah it's either people trying to emotionally distance themselves from her or trying to force her not not to con- not to control her emotions but to guide her emotional expression in a particular way provoke and yeah and the nerve that that hits for me is like i grew up um i grew up in a house with a lot of uh emotional abuse and one of the things that was really common was the idea of like emotion had to be performed in a particular way. Yeah. If I fucked up and I did something wrong, I couldn't just say like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, I know I made a mistake, I'm not gonna do that again. I had to I had to prove how sorry I felt through emoting in very specific ways. And that was the only way that it was deemed that I was sorry enough. And there are so many moments in this movie that remind me of that. That, like, you have to... There are rules for how you express emotion. And there is something that's so toxic about that to me that nothing about the ending and the fact that she supposedly finds community there feels like a win or like this is actually something that is good and healing for her so hearing about and i and and i know that this is a movie that means a lot to a lot of people and i know that a lot of people 
really do find empowerment from it. And I don't want to dismiss that at all. But I have a hard time seeing it from that perspective. And so when I hear people talking about it in this, like, you know, good for her, she's a badass, like, she's stuck it to him kind of way, I'm like, oh, that's, I can't, I can't get you there. I can't. uh, Yeah, 100%. And also, I think one of, like, I think lumping this movie into the good for her um, component of that kind of idea of it is uh is like there you're you know you're you're 100 barking up the wrong tree like you mentioned ready or not ready or not not is actually i think a good example of what could be a good for her right there's there's not trauma i don't know if you've seen have you seen good ready or not carrie uh hopefully by the time this airs i will have Uh, i haven't yet but i've i've been wanting i've been wanting to watch it for october so but that but that's that is a great example of you know she's in a relationship that's based on a lie okay but then uh, the entire family tries to kill her, and in the act of trying to escape a family killing her, she accidentally kills a lot of people, or in the act of escaping their murderous rampage in defending herself, kills herself. And at the end, she, you know, the good for her moment is that like her uh, soon-to-be husband, him, try to be like, oh, I wasn't in on it, and actually, it's fine. Like she goes, no, 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 like I'm done with all of you. <laughs> Like, you guys are crazy people. Like, that I think you can make a case for. Sure. Th- there's not trauma. She She's not inflicting violence. I mean, that's going to be a traumatic moment, probably, but it's played more for action comedy stuff. You're, like, this is a movie about the character experiencing a, like, just, like, one of the most, like, visually upsetting traumas like, it's obviously it would be an upsetting trauma for something to happen, but, like, the way that Ari Aster captures that moment is, like, I mean, I feel like my heart sank through the floor and, like, was in my throat before the movie even started when I, the first time I saw this. It's just so, like, the way it's depicted is, like, so horrific, and especially with, like, the text messages and that feeling of, like, oh, my God, like, if only they would have read this potentially or something, like, that feeling of hopelessness and and stuff like that, that, like... This movie, like, no matter what victory she gets will be tempered by that, but also the the victory of, repl- like, you you hit the nail on the head. She's replacing one uh, parasitic, toxic relationship with another. And yeah. and the idea that, like, a lot of people, I think, saw that and, and saw it as, like, a, a, as, as cheering her on with, you know, uh, good for you, Danny. Like, yeah good for you that you got away from christian and if you look at it through that like i said that very allegorical lens i i, I guess you can see it but like it's, it's missing everything else that surrounds it yeah and i i yeah and i i, I carry i i 100 agree with you that the ending does not work if it's supposed to be a pure victory because at this point we've proven that the cult is 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 not a non-functional it's manipulative it's a cult it's a horror movie cult. We've proven that by this point in the movie, there's no <clears throat> sort of gray area like I was referencing with the Senicide sequence where like you can probably, like you, you're having questions of cultural relativism and stuff. I would say tearing someone's lungs out um, and leaving them to hang in a barn is, is I think, across cultures frowned upon. Um, yeah. The um, But I think that the ending works because it's supposed to leave you with this sickly feeling of of it, it's a hor- it's an ironic horror ending. She ended up getting a f- she's an orphan who ended up getting her family back, 
but it's not the family that she wants or needs. And she is broken at the end. She's just like, so she's been through so much loss. She's been through, through so much uh, rejection of the, the world has, has taken so much away from her, not rejection, but the world has, has rejected her ability to bond with so many people. Uh, even someone like Christian, who she can't get rid of because she doesn't have anyone else. Like the, the moment when Christian's like, basically he's keeping Sweden's secret. He's keeping all this stuff secret. And you get the sense that he's hoping that he can just kind of disappear from her life because he's too cowardly to end things. And she's too vulnerable to end things. And before then she just wanted someone who would listen to, to her. And now she has like people who will listen to her. And the thing I'll disagree a little bit on, and this is one of the fun sticky things. And this is why this, I love this movie. Cause like, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think the ending is I don't think the ending works as a uh, good-for-her ending the way the witch, I 100% think the witch works as a good-for-her ending. Um, uh, or Ready or Not is probably the more yeah. pure example. Um, but, I think the witch works as a good-for-her ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the witch is another one where she's gone through an excessive amount of trauma. Yeah, but she's found a family that's willing to accept her, and now she gets to be a cool-ass witch in the woods. Carrie, it's a great movie. She's just she's, 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 she's a witch in the woods now. People love it. That movie, that movie really upset me, but okay. Um, but yeah, I, so I the, guess the thing she, is, is like I think her not to derail the witch. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I could. Oh yeah, I'm being I'm being flippant. I'm it's being a little she's bit joining facetious, a pact with but the devil. Like, she's gonna eat babies and stuff. Like yeah, obviously, yeah. like it's Aww. it's messy. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I mean, her family's no great shakes to begin with. No. it's yeah. But that's what I'm saying is, like, all of these, like, Danny clearly had trauma before the inciting incident of the movie happens. Do the like, witch, does the witch do any violence? It's been a while since I've seen the witch. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not empowering. The witch, I mean, the witch opens with infanticide. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm wrong then. Ready or not, I stand by though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So the point, I, and I think the point is that like I, my, I read the good for her thing as more of like an ironic thing, and it's supposed to be kind of like it's supposed to be kind of like funny. Um, but the regardless, I think this movie, yeah, it doesn't work if it's supposed to be a pure win. It's supposed to leave you with that sickly feeling, this like ironic ending of someone getting something they wanted, but they didn't actually get it. Uh, they got this weird perverted version of it. Um, the other thing I, I want to touch on is the, 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 um, the, the group crying thing, because I actually think that that opened up some big questions for me, the way the Senecide se- sequence where, where is, which is like, okay, ultimately both of them should not exist because they're un- unnecessary suffering, but like the, the group wailing thing, I, I think is actually interesting because it's an entirely different view towards what people need when they need empathy because it's sort of like westernized view especially because of uh, therapy and and how we've kind of structured that is that you want an impartial third party to sit there understand your feelings but you don't actually want your therapist crying with you and like oh man that guy's an asshole (laughs) that's not really what you i mean maybe you do i don't know i that's not what i want in therapy and that's not traditionally what i think of and i need in the therapist but we want this kind of impartial third person that's supposed to listen to us and sort of uh, um, allow us to un- unpack, right? As Carrie, as you were saying, there's no moment when she gets to kind of just like unpack her feelings and someone's actually listening to her. Christian's constantly making it about himself as a failure, as a partner. And it's like, well, and bro, more it's than not that, your time to like beat up on yourself. Uh, and a, com- a combination of that plus he he's not interested in being there emotionally so yeah he he sees those conversations as a particular type of torture that he tries to get over with as much as possible 
So yeah. he's he's either sees it as like again, yeah, an attack on him, uh, or uh, or kind of like a punishment for something that he doesn't deserve. Yeah, we and, also we also never meet any of her friends, and it's heavily implied that for basically her whole family life. She and her parents have been making space for her sister and yep. her sister's issues, and it seems it, it's it. We don't get a lot of backstory, but from the little backstory we do get in that prologue, it seems pretty apparent that she's like never had a strong emotional support system. She does have life. a friend though that she's telling that she's on the phone with, yeah. yeah. But but it's not a, not a friend who is you know. Stopping her from going to a Swedish cult. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's yeah, it's it's tough. Like Daddy seems incredibly alone, which is why the ending sinks in. It's not like she has no one to go back to. Even her shitty social support is gone, and now she has this very arch version of social support. But the the the, the empathetic screaming and unison thing is really. I mean, though I I ultimately think it's unhealthy. I think it really helped open up like how there are different modes of what we expect from... I tell... Carrie, I tell you a very sad thing. I tell you a horrible thing um, that happened to me. And my expectation is, is you know, kind of vague. Like, I, my expectation is largely, like, a, a field of, like... From, you know, basic, just, like, I'm really sorry that happened, you know, just serving the function, to... Um, I'm so sorry, let me help you work through this, right? Like, there's an entire range, and sometimes I, I don't yeah, actually know what I want Yeah, in some ways it's almost there. like, you mm-hmm. know what you don't want more than you know Yes, you exactly, yes. exactly what I'm getting. You, you, yeah. know, like, you know what you don't want. Um, Christian's yeah. great at providing what she doesn't want. What she doesn't want, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing that's weird is that, like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, if I were in genuine... Like when she starts screaming, it's like a fucking chainsaw through your soul. Like, yeah, it is. She's she's, she's got such a, a good she's a, screamer. Oh my yeah, god, she's I mean, so. She saw hereditary and is like, I'm gonna, I am gonna, fucking outdo her. <laughs> I'm gonna make him forget all about her. But, but the, that that moment made me question. I was like, why? Also, like when we're in pain, sometimes it's nice to talk to somebody who's either gone through the same thing or is going through, or you know, even better, is going yeah. through the same thing at the same time. They're kind of weirdly providing that. They're like, "Oh my god, I know what you're feeling, and I'm going to match it." You're not going to be the woman screaming in, in agony. We're screaming in agony together. We're we're sharing that emotion. I'm going to try and empathize with you and verbalize it, and so you're no longer alone. Now, the flip side of that is that this is a cult movie. Yeah. So this is yeah. this is disassoci- this is disassociating the self from the whole. So it actually has a moment where your feelings are not your feelings in an independent little unit. Your feelings are now. Uh, the feelings of the whole, which is ultimately unhealthy. But I was watching that moment. I was like, the last time that I was like, I needed to like scream cry, which is a very, very long time ago. Like, maybe I would have found comfort in this. And I'm not saying even comfort is good, but um, find comfort and some sort of solace in somebody sitting there and crying with me. And it made me ask questions similar to the genocide. It made me ask questions where I'm like, these people are voluntarily deciding I'm going to feel my this emotion with you. I I, I do think though, like my real quick, like my problem is that like it's not that I couldn't read a scientific paper or a medical idea about like the the benefits of like group 
screaming. My my problem is, and I'm not trying to like make this a, like a, so what's the point of talking about? Because I don't think about it that way. But I do think like regardless of whether there is some psychological or benefit or a way to deal with trauma that has proven some sort of like medical benefit or mental benefit or whatever else, like this cult is not uh, like, I, I don't trust their intentions around it. So like whether it ultimately is good or not, they're using it for evil. So it's that, uh, yeah, that but they don't think that, it's evil. They think it's the means. Yeah, but I, they, I don't care they if they fulfill they, the but, cycle. But I'm I just don't calling it evil kind of ends the discussion in a in well. Like that's what I'm saying. I'm like, not trying to end the discussion, but like again, like, and I'm not trying to dismiss what you're saying. I just like at the end of the day, like evil may be like a it sounds a little bit more like proclamationy than I than I'm meaning it. But like whatever the benefits of it, they're not like they're not using it for good purposes. And like the idea that like yeah. the the idea that like their intentions matter in it is like. Uh, it it doesn't matter to me like the whether they think they're doing good or bad or they're stating a ritual like I I I can't care about their what their intentions are I just see the impact of their of what what everything they're doing and that's ultimately re-traumatizing the character I like most in this movie and getting her to join an evil cult and then skinning and murdering people and potentially stealing babies and some other stuff like it's it's like. You know, I, like, I don't care if they have a good recipe for soup either. Like, I'll find a different recipe for soup. Yeah, and I'm not saying that this is something I can take, I'm going to ask my friends to do with me. The point is more that, like, this movie is asking questions about cultural relativism that, like, I think cult movies are never asking. Usually when they're up about yeah, the devil, or... especially, like, the, the witch's intention, I don't think is even, to not, not to jump back to that, but, like, I don't think that intention of that movie is either, like, um good for her i just think it's it's supposed to be this strange kind of this strange kind of twinkly feeling inside your bones where you're like she found a new family but she seems really happy right now but this is gonna go down a very dark path and like the other thing about this movie is like just really quickly the chanting and the dress and the the beautiful rolling hills and the sunlight and the beautiful art and the great food and the beer and the mushrooms and like once you know it's a horror movie it's like yeah all that stuff it it flips it becomes it becomes scary these are now these are now versions of control this is how you this is how you 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 uh you wrap a a abuse sandwich in this paper this beautiful paper until you know that like this movie has like a weird plausible deniability and it's like kind of calming in a weird way until it gets to a thriller moment and then sometimes Ari Aster is such a good director he's able to chill you out after a really scary thriller moment because like the Mayday sequence is like beautiful and fun for me. Like I don't, I'm not scared in the Mayday yeah. sequence. I'm enjoying it with her. So yeah, I don't know, er, uh, Carrie. I don't know if you have any reactions to the screaming thing more because I kind of, I, 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 we're 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 landing in the same ethical spot at the end of the day. But I feel like what makes the movie interesting to me is that I I'm asking questions, which normally when I'm watching a movie, I'm like, yeah, the devil's bad. So. Okay. There's there's one other thing I want to throw in here, which is um, I, I was coincidentally listening to a mental health podcast earlier today where they talked about something called emotional contagion, which I hadn't heard about before. But it's the idea of like when you when someone is expressing a certain emotion, 
the other people around them are going to pick up on that and synchronize with that. And in the context of what they were talking about in this podcast, it's that emotional contagion in the context of like a dysfunctional or emotionally abusive family becomes a very problematic thing. And that, I think, gave a a name and a specificity to what I was feeling in that movie. All of all of that ritualized emoting, it's it's this it's this social contagion that isn't about genuinely trying to help somebody. And like in terms of what you're saying about therapy and you know, the different ways in which people can cope with stuff. Like, you know, I do in, you know, I I do very physical forms of therapy and with a lot of like somatic work. And there are ways to be guided through, particularly because like trauma is stored in the body. So the idea that Danny has to do somatic body work in order to work through her trauma makes a hundred percent sense. And there are moments in the film where it seems like people are engaging in like types of breath work and all of that I can see potential benefits of. The issue is that you need someone properly guiding you through that. These people are not doing that. So I think that there's a way for her to be properly guided through some kind of like body somatic uh processing exercise i don't think emotional contagion is the way to achieve that and you know i i I was talking about it as as being initially i was saying that it's an issue i have with the movie and maybe that's not quite true because it's certainly effective as horror it's just something that makes me so viscerally uncomfortable that it, it it makes it hard for me to see it as any kind of community building. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, that's the, that's, it is, you're, you're kind of getting to something that I, I also find interesting about it that I, I neglected to talk about, which is, yeah, like there's, um, we can get sad from other people's sadness, even if it doesn't, it doesn't directly affect us and ver- people have various levels of empathy and there's nothing wrong with having more or less of the capability for that. And like we as social creatures, like there's people who I'm not one of these people, but there's like emetophobes where like if somebody is vomiting or you're hearing about vomiting, your body starts to vomit. And that goes back to like fucking like that's like a, a evolutionary trait where it's like. We presumably yeah. ate together. If you're vomiting, I ate the same shit. So even though my body's not telling me anything, now my brain is saying, I better vomit. Or um, sneezing, right. uh, yeah. laughing, yawning, like all of that, those sort of emotional reactions can be contagious. But there's something about like uh, this this group crying that's like definitely there. You said it's, it, it's, it's not genuinely trying to help people. I kind of disagree. I think the idea is they're trying to take people's pain away and and dissolve it amongst the whole. That's unhealthy. Mm. They're not trying to, I don't think, like, that's the thing. It's like, I think you're reading this more as like a, at each one of these people is like a little mini Charles Manson. I think the idea is like, no, this group is, this group no, is decentralized. No. Like, there's no, there's nobody up there I, like, all right, here's a really great way to manipulate people. This is not a multi-level marketing scheme where you just, yeah, no, 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 of, no, but I'm just, I'm making judgments. I'm like, you're right. I'm not in the middle of it. And I, they are trying, they think that their family and their village is good 
and honoring and doing exactly what they should do for their, you know, their God and their beliefs and stuff like that. But I mean, I, as someone watching the movie and outside of this and making a judgment call that, that they're wrong. And so getting sucking people up into that thing through, you know, the, the kind of shared trauma and the emotional contagion and all that kind of stuff is like ultimately for purposes that are end up being more damaging to both Danny and the rest of the people involved like yeah. but i do genuinely think they're trying to help though but that's like, how I, all cults work right that, like no no and, and and it's how and it's how a lot of emotionally abusive families work yeah because there are things that you assume are normal and good and healthy and they're not yeah oh, i mean most of the time you think they're normal and good and healthy because what yes. other exactly what other, like comparison and, do you have and 100%. so for all of so for all of the herga who's grown up all of these people who have grown up in this community this is all they know so they do think that this is going to be helpful but it, it's it the whole society that they live in has this emotional toxicity to it so yeah. they're so it, it, you can't escape even when they think they're doing the right thing. You can't escape the toxicity, and I think that that is. I I, I do feel like um like the emotionally abusive family structure is kind of what I get from uh what this community represents. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that I'm picking up on there. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's funny that we come down to the same like ethical place, but like. I just am finding this movie more chewy, especially in the second act, than yeah. I find any other cult movie in terms of ethics, and particularly, like, well, any movie that's structured like a slasher, 100%. <laughs> so I agree with you when it comes to cult movies, and I think that's shown if you've watched, if you've watched, or you listened to all of our episodes this month, this is definitely the, the most, I mean, we've talked for over, like, an hour just on, like, the 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 ethics of the and the the reasons for the cult and stuff like that and the ethics of the movie around the way that it presents the cult and stuff like that but so i agree with you when it comes to like cult movies most characters in cult movies are not actually trying to do good but i i would wholeheartedly disagree with you when it comes to like actual cults that most people in the cults don't think they're they're actually doing because if that's like that is like how people get sucked into cults. Like to use a, a common example, like most people in Scientology, a hundred percent believe that Scientology is doing good in the world, and if more people did, it, there's definitely some cynical assholes exploiting people, as there is in most cults. But uh, I, I think that most people in cults have misguided good intentions that cause a lot of harm. Yeah, and I think I yeah. think that's I think that's I think that's maybe true, maybe not. I think that ultimately what it comes down to, and probably we can cap this off and move on to more fun stuff, is is I think it, it's more defined by uh cults are more defined by um uh action maybe than motivation. So like um yes, like we think of cults as like brainwashed and that like your actions get so twisted that you're you think you're doing something good. Like, yeah, I'm with you. Like a lot of cults, maybe not Scientology, definitely not multi-level marketing schemes. Like the Manson family, Charlie knew that he was manipulating people and talked about it pretty much openly. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of different twists on the cult, and sometimes the the common factor is like 
Do you do actions that continually contribute to keeping the members controlled and inside of this group? And exiting the group is, is a, a massive fucking endeavor. Like, you you usually come out dead, harmed, or completely separated from your, your family. And, you know, you, you start taking those, 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 um, those commonalities among cults. This, this cult, I carry on with you. I don't think if the 72-year-old's like, I want to be 73, and he decided to march off to fucking Stockholm, um, that they'd be like, cool, we'll give you a ride. Like, he, they'll probably just they'll probably just find a different way to, to sacrifice him. I don't think it's, you know, maybe I use the word. I mean, as, as far as we know, remember, we know there's two there's two people in the village that are being sacrificed, but don't get to voluntarily go. So I would, I would posit that that sacrifice is being done because... They the the leadership of the village is making some decision as to why they should be sacrificed. Because if not, why wouldn't they be volu- be able to volunteer or be part of the lottery like the rest of them? Yeah, and also like let's like, I mean, there's a sequence that I'm like genuinely I enjoy. Um, I enjoy uh, uh, the uh, um, what's her name? Shit, Danny. I enjoy Danny's joy. And um, it's the May Day yeah. sequence where she's dancing and she wins it and becomes the the May Queen and that's not that's not a rigged game. I think she just genuinely, you know, we're we're, we're watching a movie. Sometimes the the protagonists win. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, um, I mean, they, yeah, in the same way that I don't think they were like, we got to get Danny over here. Yeah, <laughs> like, but I, although I could, there's yeah. so there's a moment early on. And I, I, I've heard people say like, oh, Pele was or was orchestrating this whole thing. I don't think that that actually makes sense when you watch the sequence of events. That yeah. said, there is a scene before they leave when she goes over to if it's Christian's apartment or wherever. Um, yeah. All the grad school guys are hanging out and he's like, oh, by the way, she's coming on the trip. You know, she's probably not actually going to come, but I invited her and she said yes, but she's not really going to come, blah, blah, blah. And later in that scene, she and Pele are talking and he's showing her pictures uh, from the festival. And she's like, oh, who's that? And he says, that's last year's May Queen. And then he has this pause with a look on his face. And then he says, you know, I'm really glad you're coming. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah. I think he's and coming watching, to the realization. I don't think he has any control over the the contest, though. I think no, every but woman watching, there wants to be the May Queen. A hundred percent. But watching that the second time, that moment hit me as like, okay, he's gonna find a way for her to not be sacrificed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, and like that sequence, the May Day May Queen sequence, sequence as well as their um, entrance to the camp and just generally over the place, she gets invited to participate in baking. Like they, you know, sometimes it's just like, well, you're here, you might as well help. And sometimes it's a genuine love bomb. Like we discussed with on the invitation episode, like love bombing is a common cult technique and it's love bombing is the weapon in which this grossly exploitative cult flips Danny and makes her smile at the end because the group is not a black robes in a cave sacrificing women no, they're to white Satan robes group. in a in the sun there there is specifically a group about pursuing happiness but just through this um this this very dark scary paganistic um you know folk horror cult 
They're, 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 the love bombing is all over the place because they consider themselves to have a very happy life with, you know, a lot of the rituals seem to be voluntary. Um, I think, I think it's also about trying to split her up from Christian as much as possible because there yeah. seem to be a lot of gender segregated functions. Well, and, and it's not like Danny's going to walk him to the fuck hut. No. And they're, they're, they have, they have very, even before they know exactly what's going to happen, they clearly have separate intentions for Danny and Christian and driving the wedge between them to be even greater is definitely an asset for them. Like they don't, yeah, they don't want to help their relationship. Oh, sorry. They don't, they don't want to help their relationship improve. Well, also they don't want to live with Christian. This guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah, they just yeah, need clearly. his seed. I also like if you want to know though. I think like where their heads at is like a, a, a cult leadership perspective. <laughs> like there, there's, there's, um, there's that scene where they have killed Mark and Josh. They make a big announcement about the book being stolen, and then go and confront confront danny and christian about maybe them having to do with like stealing the book and i get Mm -hmm. the first part the first part is very much about like we need to have some sort of reason for these people to to believe that the person uh why their friends left um but then to literally go and like the fucking just i don't have any other word for it be, be beyond just like gall to murder these people's two friends and yeah. then go and then go tell them, did you guys steal this book? Like is is a level I think of like we we know that we're doing some Machiavellian manipulations beyond just the like that that is direct, that is intentional, that is confrontational. Like again, I, I do think just like most cults, there's a leadership that has a um more clear understanding of their motivations beyond just serving the sun god you know and like yeah and i think that like the confrontation with the matriarch of the village with with christian kind of belay you know kind of reveals that too like hey yeah we need outsider seed and you're outsider seed and we don't actually want you here you're not that interesting to us but uh if you could go do like like she's kind of giving away the game and the uh, one thing as long as this is kind of tangentially related but this time really codified to me that like pele and his brother's story about being orphans whose parents died in a fire and they weren't even sad because they found themselves in this village surrounded by people that they loved really made it clear to me that oh (laughs) like one of the ways that they bring new people in is they almost certainly brought their parents in and then found some reason to offer a sacrifice that involved burning them alive and then oh you think they joined before their parents did or well, no no because no, oh. he says that you know uh he when he tells that story to danny he's like look i know exactly what you've been through when i was a when i was a young kid my parents uh, died tragically in a fire and right but i never felt alone because this like i found i found these people surrounding me and helping me through it and you you kind of get the sense that like 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that cult found like, oh, here's some parents that we can lure here with their two babies. And yeah. like reading between the lines, they either didn't want the parents there or the parents weren't interested in like being a part of this society. And I I do think like a lot of cults, this cult is very opportunistic. So even though, yes, this is a ritual that they do every every 90 years. I'm sure they can find some reason to have to ritually burn these two people to have these new kids as part of their cult. And like, yeah, and that's clearly how they keep they, like they don't only bring in one new person every 90 years. No, they clear. I mean, they clearly bring in new people all the time because most of the most of the children are not are very clearly not products of incest. Um, and that's why they say raised communally too. Like they're right. probably stealing babies or killing parents and stuff. But there's there's yeah right. no, it's the um it's the 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 seers the visionaries like Reuben. Yeah, um, those are, are, are intentional intentionally incest. incest. Right, yeah. but that's but that's it seems to only be like one kid at a time. Um, yeah. Also, can I park but, really here quick for thirty yeah. seconds? Something that makes me feel icky about this movie and Hereditary is that. Ari Aster occasionally deploys um, the faces of uh, people with disabilities as, like, a horror yeah. scare. And it makes me feel really icky, especially in, like, an A24 movie where you're like, bro, this is, like, this is, like, 1930s shit. Like, you can have, and, like, he ends up making good on it in Hereditary. Like, he turns that into a very, turns her into a very interesting character and um, before before she's gone. But, like, in this movie, Ruben is is just a sight a sight gag, and it really bummed me out. Really the bummed me out. The shock of having of having Ruben watching in the room when the ritual sex is happening really bothers me. Yeah, it's like yeah. forcing I... forcing this this deformed kid to watch sex. And it's and it's only just their shot is just there for shock value. It just yeah. it bugs me. It's I it's think not good. like this is a much larger discussion, but I I do think that like modern indie horror has a serious problem with um with with using the uh uh, uh shit I lost the word um using the like transgressive imagery of like sixties and seventies horror as some sort of like Oh, we're common where we're commenting on like how on on a on an exploitative movie like trope that we're we're referencing but not like actually like um engaging in the same level as like exploitation that those yeah. movies were but but actually they are because they don't have yeah. any, anything interesting to say about it they just like the imagery and are using that as a way to give the imagery without uh without suffering the same like social consequences or or whatever so uh, it's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a uh culturally acceptable version of a freak show in some cases like you you can you can get the shock value but because it's cushioned by actual drama and characters and and, you know more complex scares it that's the thing is like ruben as a character is actually less developed and less empathetic than um the i forget his name but the 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 scary guy from the Toby Hooper's fun house. And like, if Toby Hooper came up with a more complex character with disabilities, then you like back to the drawing board, maybe just cut this character altogether, figure some at, give the character dignity, make it a full blooded character. I don't, 
do something that like makes me not feel gross and and doesn't make uh care people in the audience who uh, either have a disability or they are close to somebody with a disability uh feel a little like off put like what are you trying to say about me and the people i love I, I think that concept has been on my mind a lot, too, because I've read a lot of positive reviews about Don't Breathe 2, and I haven't seen Don't Breathe 2, but all the positive – maybe I have, by the time this episode comes out, I'm actually, like, thinking of avoiding it because I, I did really like Don't Breathe, but all of the <laughs> – but all the reviews are like, wow – Making the vile rapist the 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 antihero in this movie. What a grindhousey move that references the depravity and transgressiveness of cinema in the seventies. I'm like, uh, actually, just sounds like you made a incredibly problematic, like shitty movie. Like that doesn't seem like a commentary on the grindhouse movies of the seventies. It's like. You you just have done one of those with all of the things that Peter and I pull apart as like, uh, you know, like, or other, many other people, not just Peter and myself, but like as you look in those movies and go, fuck, I wish, I wish this part didn't exist because there's a lot to recommend, but holy shit, do I have to give you ten caveats? Like, how is how is this getting positive reviews? Uh, Aaron, they did it with more money, so that's why it's fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, but it's like the thing. It's like now they now they know what they're doing because it's not culturally acceptable. So like that concept has actually been on my mind a lot, and I I really have kind of like come around to this idea that there's just a lot of shitty imagery that's being peddled as like uh, uh, allegorical or something that's actually just capitalizing on the imagery or the tropes. But anyways, that's a larger discussion for another time. <laughs> Going back to Ruben for a second, I think that the thing about that character that intrigues me is that um, we were talking earlier about the the people who kind of control the cult and are making a lot of the the decisions behind the scenes. And I feel like it says a lot about who these people are that they develop a system for creating oracles who, you know, make art and then they, quote unquote, interpret yeah, the art. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so it seems very clear yes. that, like, none of this is actually about, like, oh, yeah, Ruben is coming up with these, like, great spiritual, I mean, maybe he is, and they, you know, they may or may not understand it, but, like, he's basically a kid coloring and they're yep. like, we're going to decide what this means. And it's like, well, that so, that tells you all you need to know. Exactly. That's why Peter, like, uh, that's, that's so spot on. Because, like, that's why I read when they give the two volunteers the, like, the stuff that, like, here, we're going to give you this and just let you know you won't feel any pain. And you're going to feel really spiritual enlightenment as you burn to death and make this ultimate sacrifice. And, like... That, that, that the people, the elders walking in and giving them that know that it doesn't do shit. It just helps the ritual move along and who the fuck are they going to tell? Um, like, that's why I do interpret, like, a lot of more intentionality to the, like, the people that are, that are exploiting all these people to some extent. Like, they know what they're doing they're doing and it is it is scenes like that and the way they confront christian and danny about the book stealing that just make it very clear that they are like like yeah they you know they're they know they're sort of full of shit 
like but at the end of the day like that's their that's their society that they're keeping up even if it is like you know grotesque yeah yeah sorry carrie i didn't mean to derail you that long on that it was just something that like i have two lines in my notes on and then i was like this does actually bother me like i I guess i can spend some time on it but it does bother me it's it's important to talk about yeah yeah no i agree um let's talk about how funny it is oh my god i i love the fact that i love the fact that um mark is just like a dipshit character they telegraph him as a dipshit from the beginning at the pizza parlor um and that's the saddest pizza parlor i've ever seen i, I know it's so pizza. depressing yeah. i know but they're in grad school they don't have money um the <laughs> pizza's not expensive i know but like if you have no money you go hang out and like you've been place to a place where pizza is two dollars and 25 cents a yeah. slice <laughs> yeah um but uh, like, i know about pizza <laughs> <laughs> um but uh he's a dipshit from the beginning one of my favorite things about it is this uh, he's not a he's not an anthropology major or whatever i think he's in a different program he's just friends with the guys and he knows he has done absolutely no fucking research about what sweden is like and he's like but first we can swing through stockholm and Paley's like Paley is like um Pele is like that's a, the opposite direction we're going i don't know why you thought we were going to stockholm there, there, yeah i mean there's he is a great character he has a couple of great lines like when they're giving him the tour and they, they walk by the bear in the cage like it, it's it, it's an obvious like laugh line in my whole audience when i saw it laugh it's just the so we're not we're just gonna ignore the bear <laughs> and then he's God. like yeah it's it's a bear <laughs> like which is a which is a great throwaway gag which one thing that ariaster is very good at is like putting things that like could exist for that purpose alone and then like i'm gonna i need to introduce the bear now what if i make a joke about it and it'll come back later i love when one of the people comes to the the sleep hut and uh tells tells the americans that the children are watching austin powers yeah that's so good like Oh, it's so good because, like, there is something about Austin Powers being the movie they're watching that is, like, the funniest possible movie. And I, I can't even necessarily explain why it's the funniest possible movie, but I don't th- – I've thought of, like, 30 things in my head that could be on the same level of ridiculousness. Nothing hits as hard as Austin Powers. Yeah. Oh my God. I I I love. Yeah. Like, cause it's it's such an easy thing. Cause they've set up that this this is an old place with rituals. But also, like, you you do have to keep kids occupied. Like, yeah. If like, I don't think the kids are ready for a lot of the dark shit. So Austin Powers, it is. Um, and I also love. Maybe. I forgot Will Poulter has a moment. Not to step away from that, but Will Poulter has a moment where he's all he has no he's done no research on what how the Midnight Sun works, and he wakes up oh, and he's yeah. just like he's just like. <laughs> What the fuck's happening? Well, I it was no. He's like, what time is it? And you're like, it, it, he says like it's nine o'clock. He's like, no, nine o'clock is supposed to be dark out. He's also very high when that happens. Yeah, so I forgive yeah. him a it, little like, bit. Look, but like mushrooms don't like impede. As far as I know, mushrooms don't like impede your memory the way weed does. True. So like, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't at all. Yeah. So like, it's um, the every time I've taken mushrooms, I've been like a little confused, but I wouldn't re- forget basic facts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, this movie does do the best I've ever seen of, of what it feels like to be on psychedelics and mm. not having that good of a trip. Like 
the way that Danny is like sure that the the group of people that she turned to is like all laughing at her in unison, um, and like the way the trees are kind of breathing at her or something like that, or the way that people just have like a kind of a uh, I love when when Will Poulter's like, oh fuck, it's a new person. I can't deal with a new person right now. Like <laughs> all yeah. that stuff is like extraordinarily real to yeah. to having a bad trip on mushrooms. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh my god, another, I know we're talking about funny stuff, but I, another Christian moment that drives me fucking crazy is when she's like, yeah, I'd rather kind of get settled before we take psychedelics. Like, I haven't even seen the village yet. Um, and he's like, he's like, are you sure? And then, and then... He does the big to- announcement to his friends, like, I'm not gonna do it because Danny doesn't want to yet. Yeah, which is not mm-hmm. how relationships work. Like, if you're no. covering for your partner, you're supposed to be the one that's like, you know, actually, I'm not feeling it right now. Like, let them give you shit as opposed to like, yeah. my dumb girlfriend says we can't. Exactly. No, I'm supporting her. I'm su- I'm supporting her. Yeah. Ruining all of your time. Yeah. He's the worst. He's yeah. the worst. You know what else he's the worst about? Bring a change of shirt. <laughs> I- why yeah, does he wear yeah. the same shirt the whole time and the neck hole gets bigger and bigger? Which I guess makes sense if you're sleeping and only wearing that shirt. It's bothersome to me in a way that I can't quite place. But why doesn't he have a different short shirt? He he knew he was going on a trip. Maybe he just has a bunch of really similar shirts. I don't know. That neck hole gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> God, he's such a he's such a fucking lazy douche. And like, you know, you empathize briefly with him and you're like, you notice you're like he's pushing off his PhD work and stuff. You know, like that's tough. You just don't know what you want to do with your life. And you've just thrown a ton of money down this grad school hole and you're just like latching onto other people. And then you realize like, oh, this is just someone who like can't make any fucking commitments in his life whatsoever. (laughs) And so like it extends from Danny to... Because he can't be fully committed to her because that would require he be vulnerable and apologize for things. And he can't and be he can't to, fully commit to a breakup either. Yeah, and he also can't fully commit to any of his schoolwork. No. He's just constantly and he's so he sounds so fucking dumb because he's not actually legitimate. He's not genuine about his questions. Yeah. He sounds so fucking dumb and fake when he's asking questions. Whereas Josh is like He's been doing the research for years and years. And so when he's asking questions, he's asking very pointed questions. He's like recognizing different scripts. He's like, oh, is that high, hot, the high version of the Swedish language? And they're like, oh, it's actually elder. Like stuff that like fucking Christian wouldn't even begin to think about years from now if he had lived. Yeah. Um, I also like one thing that is uh, the, the last of like the very like subtly funny lines is uh I really love the way when Connie is like yelling at the old guy who's like, no, we took him to town. Like we took Simon to town. It's fine. Like and stuff like that. And they're like, well, I don't understand. You took him in a, and he goes, there's only one room for one in a pickup. And she's yep. like, she's like, what do you mean in a pickup? Why couldn't I have, uh, you know, ridden in the cab and he stops what he's doing. Cause he's trying to move and like, barely answer he stops what he's doing looks her dead in the eyes and goes we don't break traffic laws that's one of like, my favorite lines in the whole movie it's so good it's because, so funny like if he had said that while he I, there's something about him like giving all his attention for the first time to let her know that like <laughs> we don't break traffic laws we we murder but we don't break traffic laws yeah, probably, and again, like if you if you take that out beyond the funniness of it, 
it's probably because uh it's probably because since they were children they're they're taught like they're taught uh you know what's acceptable in their village and well they probably don't teach everyone like you need to obey traffic laws because if you say we're speeding down the road and there was something suspicious it could bring the cops here because they're they're not walking through all the things that the elders are probably teaching in order to keep uh their their commune safe but they are probably like a lot of societies hitting on things and and giving them a lot of import as to like serious uh uh serious things that they could they could transgress against in order to keep their commune safe so they probably have imparted to everyone from a young age and that's probably part of it is like you don't break up you know you don't break traffic laws and maybe because like the you know the god they believe in is you know against it and they may have more more reasons for that but like the way that he takes it so seriously makes it feel like he's he's not so much um trying to convince her but like laying down a like piece of uh morality that he follows yeah yeah absolutely it's there's a lot of really funny little moments that are just like um cultural misunderstandings or but like or they could be chalked up to cultural misunderstandings but they actually feed into the horror and i I think that's that's uh just just wonderful um like uh the 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 fact that like at first this isn't like quite like a joke joke but the fact that like Pele doesn't act these they're all kind of ugly Americans in their own way Josh does the best or no I don't know Josh or Danny does the best I guess because they most try and like go with the flow until Josh tries to steal that book um and then um but like these are ugly Americans they're being rude and Pele like kind of knows that like well, they're worth dealing with because, like, we need them for the ritual. And, like, once you realize that that's why Pele, who's, like, quiet and soft-spoken and kind of gentle and sweet, the reason he's doing that is so he can murder all these people. Like, all of those early scenes read as super funny to me because, like, he he purposefully has no attachment to them, right? Like... I I I I want to talk about the scene that's only in the director's Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so, Aaron, you were talking before about, like, you know, the education that the community members get from a young age, and the fact that there there seems to be a lot of, like, very specific education that happens um, from, from the start to keep everyone in line. So, there's a scene in the director's cut uh and it's one of the only night scenes in the movie um the only one the, like, the, o- the only night there, scene right? I, probably yeah I, I, well, then, then it follows the confrontation between danny and christian where danny's like they're not gonna let us leave yeah like, but that's all like i think i don't think that scene's in the theatrical cut either yeah, there's there's one scene also before that where like she's seeing a car drive off, but that it might all be the same sequence. I'm having trouble exactly remembering. Yeah. Um. But anyways, but Danny is wandering into the forest and she sees um another ritual about to happen, and this is after the um the the dual suicide from earlier. Um. 
and there's a ritual about you know the gods have are displeased and we have to give them you know our our this fine tree and jewels and all of these things and they still are upset with us and what else can we give them to satisfy them and this kid dressed as a tree comes forward saying oh i'll sacrifice myself and Danny is the first one to express, like, uh-oh. Because it looks, it really looks like this kid is about to totally be, like, thrown into the river. And uh, she she voices concern, and then all of a sudden everyone else starts voicing concern. And they say, you know, well, this this child has been brave, and, you know, the, the gods are satisfied, and we're not you know, gonna kill his child right now. And there's something in that scene that really struck me because it felt like we we were chatting earlier about whether or not it's ever intended to be a sacrifice or if it's always meant to be just theater and just like an acting of like, you know, we 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 go through the motions, but no one is actually going to get harmed in this. There's something about the fact that they do that anyway that really struck me because it felt like this is how the children learn about being prepared to sacrifice themselves at any point yeah. when they're older. This is yeah, how it starts. I, I like think this that's is. True. I think that's true. Yeah, this they know is. They're not going to die then. But they know that that being brave and facing death is like going to be part of your life at some point. Yeah, and I and I think that it, it, it I'm a little disappointed that that scene isn't in the theatrical cut because I think it serves a really important purpose and it and it's it provides really crucial context mm-hmm. about what these kids are learning and how the process starts for normalizing sacrifice and normalizing. Uh, the idea that, you know, you might get pulled in the lottery one year or you might be, you know, asked to burn yourself for some reason. Um, and just like preparing, preparing that mindset. Um, and also there's nothing you can do about it. You got these chains on you. We're going to make them literal. Right. In this part. Um, but they are, but they're, they're definitely metaphorical later on. It does remind me, though, Carrie... Of, uh, of our last episode, someone we talked about who was was told by his familial figure that he may have to sacrifice himself <laughs> one day for the good of the society, and that's a that's a little little boy by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What? I think I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a he's a singer. <laughs> he's a singer. <laughs> oh, you mean Ted Neely? Very pretty hair. Very pretty hair. Is that like is Jesus Christ like his stage name or something? White guy, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, wow, yeah, it is. It is funny, Carrie. You're only allowed back if we're talking about uh, cults out in the wilderness. That's all. The movie has to feature that, or you're not allowed back. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I did. Uh, I did notice as we as as I was starting to rewatch this movie, I did notice that this fit the dead mom theme that we've done for like half the episodes I've been on. Yeah. A lot of dead moms out there. A lot of dead moms. 
here's a fun fact. This is, I mean, this is true. Most moms that have ever existed are dead now. Just statistically speaking. Uh. Yeah. Mm, interesting. You know, Carrie, uh, this is one of those moments where, you know, I, I apologize that this movie is deeply triggering. Um, but in another sense, you watched the movie and then you begged us to do it on the show. So... <laughs> I like that. Actually, this is this is like canonically true. Uh, well, not her next step, but your next actual entry in a theme month, Carrie. Like this will be like like dessert before the main course. Like this will be nice and fluffy and light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna really get into it soon. Yeah. So enjoy <laughs> I'm your excited. time while you it's have John yeah. Favreau's chef. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what movie? John Favreau's Chef. Oh, Chef. Actually, I think every other John Favreau movie would have made a better punchline. I'm not trying to be critical, but I do think <laughs> if it was Swingers or Zathura, it's a better, it's a better joke. Um, <laughs> did a, you guys... There's, there's dead parents in Jumanji. You're telling me Zathura doesn't have one? Oh, Zathura definitely has a dead mom. The mom's not in the movie. And that house goes to space. <laughs> Did you guys have any thoughts about the the kid sacrifice, pseudo sacrifice? Yeah, I, you know, so much of it, like, sorry, Carrie. so much of it is uh, <laughs> is as you're watching it, you're like, is this? Why is it dark? Oh, like, I, yeah. I was I was really thrown by that just because I am pretty sure there's not like I, I was like, oh yeah, like the director's cut, got it. I guess there's a scene in that like one hour. Of darkness again. I I had a little bit of like pacing problem with it, which may have thrown me out of it a little bit. In that, like, I just like I wish that had come before the suicide, because mm-hmm. like the the build of we just watched that that this society this village is willing to throw people to their death. You know, it, the the fake out feels feels less climactic. And I also, I mean, I could also make, you could make the argument that, like, you just saw them kill to, or, or, or uh, facilitate the death of two people. You are more likely to think they're going to drown this person. But in some ways, it made me less likely because I, I, lo- I, I would have liked the idea a little more of, like, all of the oddness and the concerns and the suspicions building to a moment that's a fake out. And then the next time around, it's not a fake out. And so, like... I'm not trying to Monday morning quarterback the the, the yeah. ending of this movie, but I found I found it a little bit like I, I kind of knew they weren't going to sacrifice that kid because it just wouldn't make sense. Also for the theatrical version that I saw, like they would have if they if they drowned that kid. I feel like the the next parts of the movie would have made less <laughs> sense. Um, but I agree with everything you're saying around the idea of like, you know, so so much of like not just like cult behavior, but like shitty religious behavior is this idea of like you might have to sacrifice yourself for the the religion at some point like i mean i i saw like a tiktok recently that was reminding me of a song that uh my my catholic church never sang but i knew people that like the i'm in the lord's army (laughs) like the idea that like every every like child especially in like evangelical christianity is like you're actually a warrior in a, on a battlefield oh boy for, for your religion and you know 
you know, martyrdom is the is like I I was taught in Catholicism that like the the most honored saints are those that like died martyrs and stuff like that, and that's why I think you have a lot of uh, fetish fetishism around the idea that like that like these these people that have never been marginalized at all these like white Christians are like if you ever put a mask on me or they ever or 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 more like a hypothetical like if they ever tell me that my religion's banned i'm willing to die for it it's like hey that's never gonna happen like you're literally fantasizing about ways that you could have your rights taken away because you you're you're at no risk of that uh and how you would you would die as opposed to not be able to say the under god in the pledge of allegiance and like yeah. You know, that that part's still, like, I mean, so, like, in this movie, like, they're doing the same thing. They're like, you, you, you're 100% right. Like, you're gonna, you might need to die for this someday, and that's what we believe, and that's what we support. And here's an example. Look how merciful this god is, and that he didn't make you drown in the lake right now. So, you can't get mad at him later if he asks you to do it, because he was such a nice guy that time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's an interesting cut because, like, I do think that ultimately the movie gets a little unruly at three hours, but that sequence, I think, hints at what I think the movie. It's a movie that I love pretty dearly, but it's, it, it hints at like I kind of wish there was more slice of life stuff going on, and I wish that we got a little bit more info. And this is partially just because the context we're watching this for the month. I, I like talking about what the activities of the cult are and what they want but like is this is this as simple as just um they well they pray to a figure called the mother um they fear a figure called the black one is this as simple as just it's a it's a um it's a harvest for you know good grain and you know uh, having good healthy young children and staving off infant death and staving off uh you know uh, disease on their their fields like is it is it as simple as that like, i mean i think so i mean they're not asking to like ascend to ride on the Hale-Bopp comet or anything like they're <laughs> yeah they're just like I mean, there's a there's a force of giving and a force of of death and we want to honor the force of giving I I also think that the fact that the the one that they fear is called the black one gets into some of the white supremacy oh, uh, yeah. undertones of this culture. Yeah, it's tough because like it. I don't think that I've been chewing on this for like a week, and I don't necessarily think that there's like enough. You can convince me otherwise, but like I, I'd love to hear like more. But like I don't think there's enough to really come down on like. If this movie's saying fucking anything about race, but like tacitly you're going around and they're bringing in outsiders. The one outsider they save looks pretty Scandinavian. Um, yep. And, uh, and and also the group is the group has this ritual once every 90 years. And like there's they never codify how people are brought in and are allowed to stay. And 90 years ago, Sweden was much, much whiter. Um and now but Sweden is, like, a very diverse country with people from all over. And it's, like, 90 years ago did they let a bunch of people in? But no, they were no, white but people like, but, they were pulling from... But they're, but they're bringing in people, like, they're doing this ritual once every... Like, the, literally the burning the nine people alive every 90 years. Yeah. They are 100% bringing in people... More often. More frequently than that. it's not codified that they're bringing in people that are allowed to stay 
at any cadence. Okay, okay right? but like, they're not they're not bringing people that are like contributing to the gene pool either that are not white people because they, they all these people are very white. But yeah. are they bringing in anyone? Yeah, that's allowed to stay in the past ninety years. It's or it's this- un it's unclear. It's unclear who's allowed yeah. to stay, but it's very clear that if you have a chance of staying, you need to be a white person. I don't know. I just think that she wins the May Day contest. I, I don't. I'm not trying to sound obtuse, but, but like, I, I just don't know if there's enough there. But there's there. not a non-white person there. So I, I think, think it's more. I think it's more telling like, that Ari Aster didn't think about the optics of it. I don't think he thought about no, the optics. I think of he it. did. I don't think I don't yeah, I, I I see what you're saying about there not being enough there in the sense that like I don't think that this was his point in making the movie. But I think when you have a movie with a whole bunch of white people in Scandinavia and the three people of color in the movie get killed in yeah. you know early relatively early on in terms of yeah. the deaths and in uh ways that that seem like they're trying to like sweep things under the rug it, it the subtext can't be avoided yeah i i yeah yeah exactly like i i there's a few tiers here right and like what we talk about in the show is like your intention ultimately doesn't matter if the what what um what is actually depicted is seems to say something else, right? Um, you can say in interviews much later what you wanted to do with a movie, and I don't particularly fucking care. Um, like, what what I see is is what the movie is. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's more Ari Aster was just not even fucking thinking about the optics of the last survivor being a white, blonde woman. And, like, I don't know if... if some if a woman of color had performed really well in the interviews for for Danny like and like he, he that's the vision or maybe there was a woman of color that performed very well but he like subconsciously his vision was a white woman like maybe that's a, a conflict within him like but like in the movie itself I don't think we know tacitly enough about how the gene pool gets gets heterogeneously what's the verb for that i don't know the gene pool gets more diversified we don't know enough about what their ritual is for allowing new people in all we know is that we see one person gets in and she looks like florence right yeah i could go a few different ways with that but i definitely agree with you that the optics of it are bad (laughs) so i looked i looked it up ari aster said that specifically uh, he meant to be a suggestion of racism. They're killing people of color. The white people, uh, they're using for genetic reasons as well. There we go. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, mean, I don't even, he, but I don't even think that's, that's like, not to be a dick, but like, that's like, it's not like, I'm just to reiterate what I said 40 seconds ago, like, that's not in the movie. But I I think it is, it is in, the in the movie. movie. But I, I don't think it's a bad, like, I think he's specifically calling out like a level of racial homogeny that like this culture is is trying to maintain which is actually like a lot of times a lot of the subtext of cults or closed mind or closed off uh societies is like yeah, yeah. trying to keep people, an outsider so i i, I don't mean it's like thought right like diversity so, like it's easier to form people who look 
or behave or whatever closer to you. Yeah. And she, her ability to fit in with the Mayday Festival has nothing to do with her race, but like the fact that she was not selected as one of the four to die and that Connie, sorry, that Connie wasn't really given a chance to perform, but Connie immediately wanted to run away because they killed her partner too early. That's where it gets sticky, right? Because maybe like, Connie, Connie wanted maybe to run a away. To queen too, but like she tried to escape and so Connie ran to one away because of the suicides. Yeah. And didn't yes. she didn't know she doesn't she doesn't ever find out that they killed Simon. But but Simon goes missing before her and then yeah. she pursues Simon to escape. Yeah, but theoretically we know so they I mean they brought six people there, right? So interestingly enough, remember Danny wasn't supposed to go. So technically they planned to bring five people there and five people need to be there for the sacrifice because one is optional at mm-hmm. least being burned alive so of the five people they intentionally convinced to go there to be a part of this sacrifice that will be involuntary three were people of color like if it feels like again I, I, like i think Ariaster is is not like I, I think it is intentional on his part to to in the same way this movie does gr- a great job of like it doesn't get really deep into that but it is noting that like this this cult environment has a like uh, a racial homogeny to it, which you know, spoiler alert, most cults I think yeah. do for the most yeah. part as well. I, I buy I buy what you guys are saying, and and I agree with you. Like the optics of it are really bad, and you know it's it's making implications about them doing like race control stuff. There's like nothing really like said. But you about mean the optics it, of the evil cult, right? But like, I don't think Ari Aster's statement is particularly interesting because like. He also could have, like, watched his movie when he was doing the festival circuit and be like, oh, yeah, that was my intention. When in reality, when he was writing, he was just like, I like Florence Pugh for this, for, you know, a million reasons. So, I, wait, I so sorry, get... I'm, I'm, I am a little confused. May, I like, so are you saying that... I'm saying, I'm saying his opinion doesn't fucking matter. No, I know, <laughs> what but he's like, saying doesn't I, fucking matter. But I don't know why you're thinking, like, I, I, I do think that if Florence Pugh... Like, she, she wasn't supposed to be there. That's why she's, like, extra as to, like, who they need from an outsider perspective. And I do think that's why Paley does. But, like, I'm not saying, like, they chose her because she was white any more than I'm saying they chose her because she's trauma. She's an accident that they think, oh, this is this is a chance to bring someone into the cult. I do yeah. think, like, her being white has something to do with it in so much as they if she had been a person of color, they likely wouldn't have seen her as a candidate to join the cult in the same way that they probably wouldn't have if she had not suffered trauma and was, you know, not looking for that something to fill a void in her life, they probably wouldn't have selected her to be in the cult. The one thing that I think kind of puts a twist into this is there's a, there's a moment, uh, I think when they're all first arriving, when, uh, Ingemar, the brother, is talking about how he met Connie and Simon and he says something about like oh Connie and I were dating first and then she is she brushes that off very quickly and is like we I we went on one date that was I didn't even consider to be a date date. I didn't know it was a date and but the the rejection that he gets from her I think is really intriguing because it yeah. seemed, it felt a little bit like maybe he was bringing her there to try for like mating purposes, and like that would have been that would have been very unusual for this community. 
but it seems like he was trying i mean i i don't and of course like none of these people are reliable narrators i have no idea if what he's saying is based in like genuine uh desire to be in a relationship with her and feeling betrayed or what yeah but, i also like the idea that maybe he like <laughs> that like uh the sad boy thing like oh yeah oh, oh yeah you guys killed the person i tried to bring for meaning purposes all right well i guess i'll sacrifice myself on the fire now i i actually i wrote that in my notes i was like i wonder if this is why he kills himself <laughs> i was unclear like yeah i do think you could parse out like did he make that decision after or was like did he come back with the idea that he was going to do that and I, you know, I don't think there's a clue in the movie, but I definitely think you could make strong arguments for either. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that there's there's potential for there being people in this community who then go out into the outside world, ex- experience the broader society and maybe start to think like, oh, it would be nice if we made this place a little bit more diverse. Yeah. But it doesn't. Well, also, they may be surprised too, right? Like if you grew up in this society, you yeah, may, yes, you and may sort of. Also, I'm thinking about the the act of leaving to you know go uh, recruit people. Like, is it sort of a rumspringa? Like, do they have internal rules that they have to follow? But when they're out in the world, like they can do other things that aren't allowed. Like, maybe you're not allowed to date women of color or they do have racist rules internally about about what can who can contribute to the to the gene pool um but when you're out in the world it's like oh that doesn't matter right i, I mean their rules are probably like only orgies <laughs> if you hear someone having sex try to like your roommate's having sex in the other room try to yell along with them as best you can <laughs> like support support the the you know the cultural norms yeah wait how the fuck do they do they have like a briefing session i mean i guess they're watching austin powers do they have a briefing session on how to how to uh quote unquote normal when they're out there they're like okay so generally it's frowned upon if you see two people having sex to come up and push on the one person's butt to get better hums i mean i i it's frowned upon i think they do pro well first of all like this is like the american thing like there's probably a lot of stuff that other cultures like when they go to America, like do the same thing where it's like, yeah, he's just from Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, right. A lot of that stuff probably gets hidden. I yeah. mean, uh, let's say Ingemar yeah. picked up um, his his two people from Britain, right? Yeah. 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 And I suppose also the bleaker way of looking at that whole exchange is that like he never had any intention of actually having a relationship with her, but he was trying to get into a, a pseudo-relationship with her so that he would have a sacrifice to bring, and then yeah. she gets engaged to those other guys who so was like, well, I guess I gotta bring both of them. Uh, yeah, right. Carrie, I think you, I think, yeah, I was I was kind of convinced on, on Aaron's thing, um, but I think you actually figured it out. Um, is that, that that's, to- yeah. It's a guaranteed way to get someone to go on a trip with you is to start dating. Them. Still three. It's still three and a half years, but I suppose they are specifically like. Remember, we got that ninety. I mean, they, you know, they got that, or they've only been together a year and a half. Yeah, it's it's Danny and Christian that've been together uh, three and a half years. I will say though, like I do know from uh, we we used to have a corporate office for a company that I worked for in Salt Lake City, so I got to meet a lot of people that like 
uh, used to be a part of the Church of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church. And uh, I, you know, had a few conversations with them over beer and they, cause they had one on, on missionaries and stuff like that. And they, I mean, they do teach you how to behave. Like they apps like when someone acts like this, this is the way you're supposed to like they're they're in some ways trained about how to react based on where they're going to the cultural norms. So if they're going to, you know, they're going to Central America, it's different than like knocking door to door, even in the country that you're from, the United States, because like what what kind of like uh feedback like it's it's more about like what are you expected to hear that is contradictory or um or uh unexpected in the area that you're going to and so like in the united states if you go on like a you know door-to-door missionary here like they really train you about how the devil will like the things that the devil will say to try to to prove that what you believe is wrong which is like you know tries to account for all the people that'll go no look at the internet about who joseph smith was and stuff like that like so i I do see, like, it's probably a little bit different, but that idea that they probably, I mean, they probably are getting training for, it's not seen as training, but just education about when you go out, here's what you can expect and how to, how to interpret that in the way that they want those people to interpret. Yeah. I kind of wonder if actually that's, that's sort of the subtext under the Austin Powers joke, like teaching western cultural references in a yeah, way pro- yeah probably yeah, yeah they yeah, i mean any every other joke in the movie is actually secretly a horror moment right <laughs> yeah like like they if we already know that these kids are getting indoctrinated and their entire education is about like training them for what's to come so having like american british cultural references is going to be pretty <laughs> crucial so yeah. that being the media that they watch makes a ton of sense. Also for them, it's probably them showing what sexual repression looks like. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you may notice he's talking about sex, but rarely having it with more than one person and no one else <laughs> is there screaming at him. How backwards. He says he's so <laughs> horny, but I is he? No one in the fuck hut has dropped a do I make you horny, baby? But like, I mean, probably they're I like, normally if, if someone makes you horny, you gather everyone into the fuck hut. Here he just talks about it. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, yeah, what uh, I think we're over three hours. Uh, I think it's time for some final thoughts. Yeah. Here's my final thoughts. Uh, great movie. Um, I, I, you know, I allude to this at the beginning, like it reminds me a lot of us in that it's like messier than kind of the perfect debut movie, but like, like I could watch even the three hour version over again. Cause I just feel like there's like, there's so much to chew on all of the like, um, detailed look at the way that the, the, the cult or the village operates is like very interesting and like. Ari Oster is just so goddamn good. Like, I I know he's supposed to be making a comedy yet, which I will say this movie at least convinced me he understands comic timing and, like, set up punchline and stuff like that. Like, I I don't think there's anything even, like, that, like, loosens the noose in Hereditary. It's pretty, like, you know, dark the entire way. Uh, I don't think there's any many, like, darkly funny jokes. This, I think, actually, like, if he really is legitimate that he's going to make a comedy next... This movie at least made me think that like he'll 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 do pretty good at that, but like 
man, he just has this like way to get under your skin and just reveal the worst possible like fears that you have and and take his characters through these like hells that you just feel viscerally a part of like you know i didn't think that much could be topped in hereditary when the 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 sister gets her head cut off is like no matter how many times i watch that i feel sick to my stomach uh but like there's so much here that's just like you just you just want someone to to stop all the things that just keep happening over and over to Danny. And yeah, Carrie, you, you call it like, I don't feel empowered at the end of this movie. I feel sick. Like it's, it's the kind of sick I love in my cult, miserable horror movies. And that's why I think it's like a fucking amazing movie, but like just seeing that smile and, and like brightness and decoration and feeling like the hope for her is completely lost and she is going to be reliving the trauma uh in like forever like she's she's stuck but she's stuck also like lying to herself that she's found happiness and it's uh yeah it it makes it makes me like sick to my stomach in a lot of ways at the end and i think that's definitely like as I said, one point my wife was like, well, I didn't want it to end like that. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like that's a much more concise way of putting it. Like, I wanted better for Danny than whatever miserable hell this is going to end up being. Totally. Ever, both times I've watched this movie, I haven't really known whether how, – how I liked it or not. I know the actual experience of watching it. I enjoy quite a lot. I love how it's directed. I love how it's staged. I love the performances. It's it's an absolutely gorgeous film. And then when I think about it later and I try to break down what's happening in it, I get so angry. <laughs> so I think my ultimate takeaway is like this conversation has helped to solidify for me that I do actually quite like this movie, but the things that it's doing are things that push my buttons so hard that, like, it's hard for me to just focus on the parts that feel good and exciting and, like, this this is what I like about what he's doing because the things that end up coming up for me are just the, the toxicity that is so deeply upsetting that I I end up in a position where... I feel like to myself, I sound like I'm being totally negative on it. And it's more just that like, it's what it's, what it does well is tap into a particular type of emotional toxicity that I find so triggering and repugnant. Um, But it does that really well. (laughs) So it's a really good movie. Um, Yeah. But I, I feel like this was this was the conversation that helped me understand, like, yeah, you can you can get really angry about a movie, but still think that it's doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, was going to say is that's part of the reason that I wouldn't imagine couldn't imagine doing this episode without you. And I hope I wasn't uh, frustratingly obtuse at times. But I did. The thing no, that no, I no. love about this movie is that it is a movie where first time I watched it, I was like, pretty spooky cult. 
Um, they did some bad stuff. Uh, not a fan. Um, the Christian guy also sucks. Glad he's dead. Um, there we go. And then as the I sat with the movie a little bit longer, and I like went to Wikipedia to like go back through the events of the movie in my head, and the imagery had been burned in my head. It's such a gorgeous looking movie. The complexity of what it's doing is is fascinating. Um, I, as I, I've mentioned a bunch of times, it's just like the the way that the the movie throws me off off my feet uh, in terms of just like my open-mindedness and my like willingness to like you know play ball a little bit with this movie um particularly because like the space is very desirable it's this beautiful beautiful village out in the middle of nowhere with rolling green hills and beautiful sunshine and and kind people and beer and great food those weird little hand pies um like all of that is just so enticing and i think that like the the movie weirdly just like to a to just a a small percent uh kind of indoctrinated me into this cult just a little bit this is the only cult movie I've ever watched where I've been like, uh, I've actually like even given the ideas um, a moment's consideration. Um, and this is like a topic I've read a lot of books about cults and like, I've like, this is something I think about a lot. And this is the only time I watched one of these and been like, you know, through throughout the movie have, have had like moments of conflict where I'm like, you know, it seems like they're pretty, they're pretty happy and they have like a functional community but it's only once you get out of the movie and you have a little bit of distance like carrie you were saying you get angrier the further away you were as after i had some time to process like you just see that it's this beautiful piece of statuary and then you you know grab the statuary by the legs a little bit and tip it over and underneath it's just like roaches and a corpse and (laughs) disgusting filth and like a sewer line um and like that is that's why I, I'm happy that this is like the um, one of the the big movies we're doing this month because it the cult is at times enticing and not just hey we've got hot women in the cult like a lot of Satanist movies do they're like hey if you join the cult you get to have sex with a hot lady like that's not really what it's doing it's more it's more offering you like a, a weird community and then as your time goes on you're like oh the things that's that they're doing that seem kind and nurturing are actually uh fucking evil um, and that's yeah. why uh that's why i love this movie and i couldn't imagine not doing it this month yeah and i do i do want i didn't call this happened about two hours ago i didn't call attention to it then because i wanted to save it i i do want to note that at one point during the discussion peter did say and i quote i'm just asking questions which <laughs> didn't say that did i people only on the right side of history (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i don't even think i'm I'm i don't even think i was playing devil's advocate more so i'm just like no it was no you you were not using it in the in like the devil's advocate way you just you you literally just spent like i'm just asking questions about how the cult functions oh (laughs) it was very very funny that you said i'm just asking questions and that rules i know so so It's my way to say, go back and listen to the whole episode to see if I'm telling the truth, but I am, and I'm editing, so it'll be there. I'll double it. Put it Amazing. In. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Carrie, thank you so much for another long episode. Once again, not to call our shot, but probably the shorter of the, the next two we'll record. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, what do you have to promote knowing, as of course you do, it is the fourth week of October? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a tease for the fact that 
the next time I'm on after this, I will have something extremely cool to promote. It's too early to promote it now, but I am finally working on a project again that has an actual release date that is in the foreseeable future. And it's something that it's something I am super excited about. It's something that I can't wait to talk more about. And uh, the next time I'm on, I'll be able to do that. Yeah, so spoiler alert, Carrie's joining us twice in January, so have your uh, your favorite podcast tuner tuned to our station then. Yeah. Uh, Carrie's really cool. excited to release her new project, which is, of course, a cult in upstate New York. Yes. You're all invited. Thanks. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, it's kind of like with COVID, like quarantine things, like, you know... I, I'm not going to go because of COVID, but I do appreciate <laughs> still being invited by places. Exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, Peter, I don't think we've announced this in any of the episodes yet, so this will be our first time announcing it, but we can announce next week, which is our uh, annual Spooktober uh, Speciepi, uh, and this is actually the first one that's not just part of a series where we are doing a big supersized episode that is directly related to our theme for the month. Usually we just go do something that we are excited about as like its own thing. And we probably will do that again in the future, but we are doing a triple episode called we love to watch presents Nicholas cage versus cults versus Nicholas cage versus Nicholas cage. Uh, and we are doing the wicker man remake just to really piss off the people that were annoyed that we did a cult month without the Wicker Man. Uh, <laughs> we'll we're going to do, do, do the we're Wicker Man. We're going to do it. Yeah, just not this month. You know, hold your horses. Yeah. Uh, but we're, yeah, we're doing the Wicker Man remake, which I've never seen. Uh, Drive Angry, which I've never seen. And Mandy, which I've seen like five times. Mandy, Mandy is really the centerpiece here. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he, there is two other movies where he very directly takes on cults. And, hey, they're not called supersized specieppies because we do one movie. Yeah, I, that deserves the silence. Yeah, we're doing three. Yeah, so the pitch here is that Nicolas Cage, of course, as Aaron said, fights three different cults in three different movies. But also it's Nicolas Cage versus himself because it's Nicolas Cage in three different modes. Uh, Nicolas Cage in knowing knowing trash uh that is uh nonetheless very fun but you know he's not giving his full nicholas cage-ness to it um but he's still giving quite a bit uh, in drive angry um then nicholas cage in the um in wicker man which is him in fucking phoning it in mode (laughs) Um, and then in, uh, Mandy, it's him in both the, I'm going to give you everything that's within my aching soul mode, but also like, I'm going to possibly like rupture and <laughs> rupture a blood vessel in my eye from screaming so loud. Like I'm going to, you're getting, you're getting the different modes of Nicolas Cage. And I think we're trying to figure out as he fights off these cults, what is it that makes uh makes this guy uh tick and what makes him attracted to uh what what are the movies he's doing for a paycheck and what are the movies that genuinely grab his passion for what it's worth it's not a horror movie but i think you can make the argument that pig is also nicholas cage versus a cult a weird food oh cult. yeah oh wow but that that's not that's that's not fun like <laughs> I, I watched that movie thinking it was gonna be fun and it's a good movie but it's not fun it's just really sad
It's beautiful. But it's sad. beautiful, but it's it's very like uh, it was not what I expected at all, and I I loved it quite a bit. But like it was one of those movies where I'm like, this could be a lot of fun, like an like a John Wick type thing where he goes like that's all I knew about it because everyone said don't read anything about it, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I liked this, but I would have picked a different movie for tonight and where my head was at. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> well, like that wasn't my—it wasn't a bad headspace, but I was like kind of tired and wanted to watch something like uh, big and fun, which right. I thought of the "You Stole My Pig" Nicolas Cage revenge movie would be. It's not that. It's at not that. Oh, it's not that. Oh my god! Like it couldn't be further from that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good though, but it definitely is not a not a fun horror movie or to, to slip into our goofy concepts about Nicolas Cage as a wild man no no got it got it's it. so sad it's really um, sad yeah uh, but anyways uh, Carrie thank you so much for joining us I hope thank whatever you. you're doing yeah, thank this you, Spooktober Carrie. is amazing hope you've watched a lot of spooky movies I hope you're gonna watch some spooky movies oh yes um, and I hope uh, you tune into the f- the four of us talking about all the spooky movies that we're going to be doing on our recaps. So absolutely, this is this was so great. Thank you guys for for having me on for this. Yeah, thank you for tolerating me. Um, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> with that we'll say. Um, a burg, a burg. Yeah, with that we'll say um, turkey. <laughs> burg, a burg. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help, and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>